Do you want me to talk about what I did? Yes. I know nothing about Syrian Jews. I consider myself a Jewish advocate. I also do Israel activism within my Jewish advocacy. All right, comment section, here they come! Welcome back to Buckle Up, baby. Episode it feels 52. weird saying that with someone else. Here. I'll call yourself conscious. <laughs> I got a little we, self-conscious. We have our first guest who is a woman. A woman Woo! person. Okay, now leave us alone, everybody. Because no one here cares about that. We're about ideas and we don't we don't judge people based on anything other than their character. Oh, I That's can't right. wait to Ladies be and gentlemen, please welcome to Buckle Up, Adela Kochab. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, that was perfect. Thank you. Oh my gosh, Kochab. That's so. That's the the the, the J is the the Ch and the J is Hebrew or Mexican. Um, it is Hebrew transliterated into Spanish. Mm. So Kochab means star in Hebrew. It's written in Spanish, so that's why we put the J there. Mm. And you you got the easier of my last names. I, I have I have four of them. So please tell us. Well, I, the last one's really easy. But Adela Kochab Moadeb Fayena Cohen. My God. Love that. <laughs> I love it. Which, uh, Adela? Well, I, I said it in English for you. Oh. If you want, it's Adela Kochab Moadeb Fayena Cohen. That so is badass. Go. Yeah. My name is Ami Kozak. That's beautiful. <laughs> Michael Weber. Ah. Michael Harris Weber. Michael Harris Weber. <laughs> <laughs> Three names. White milk toast. So is this is this like your stage name, Adela Kochab? Or? Um, so in the U.S., everyone only uses one last name. In mm. Latin America, everyone uh-huh. uses four or at least two. So um, now when I came to the U.S., I was like, nah, I can't do this whole two last name situation, especially right. like Kochab Mo'adev. That's just not oh, really going to fly. Yeah. So the Syrian, the Mexican, I'm sure this comes up a lot with you as far as the multi-ethnic. Uh, yeah. Thing. Well, the way you say it sounds cool, but it, at the DMV it would be like Adela Adela Kojab Kojab Moadeb Moadeb. Wow. So the, on that on that topic of being in like all these different worlds, in the conversation about like I'm going to jump right into it, but in the Go conversation about like ethnicity in America and yeah. la- and you know how we talk about it here with like divide how people are divided up politically amongst you know attributed to their group identity, like. How do you think about that being from multiple groups? Well, that's that's actually what I started a podcast about. So oh. shameless plug, check out my podcast. It's called Americanish, Daughters <laughs> of Diaspora. Mm-hmm. And it's about how no one's really one thing. And yeah. uh, being from a lot of different groups, it, it's interesting because like I'm just also going to hop right in there. Mm. Jews get a lot of like the dual loyalty yeah. right trope. I'm a Syrian Lebanese Mexican Jew, so mm. I fall into a lot of different categories, and a lot of them can be accused of dual loyalty. So it's mm. just a weird place to take a step back, right? So, for example, on my Jewish side, a lot of my you know friends, family, they fall conservative on the political spectrum, and then suddenly I step in there, and I'm like, yeah, and then I'm like, but wait, I'm also an immigrant. Mm. I don't have a green card, and I've been in this country for 22 years. So where do we take a step back there? So mm-hmm. it's interesting because, in a way, I get to um, be in of many groups and out of many groups, and then share the struggles of other groups with the groups I'm part of. So people who would have never considered an immigration argument, a pro-immigration argument, mm-hmm. suddenly get to sit down and mm-hmm. chat with me and I'm like, hey, you know, I can't have certain jobs and I can't, they, everyone hears me speak and they're like, you should run for president. And I'm like, alas, I cannot. Isn't that <laughs> terrible? Um, so it's it's interesting because you get to bring other perspectives. No one's ever said that to me. No. You should no. run for president. No. Oh my God, I get it all the time, not to toot my own horn, but no. You're more, you got a more of a protest the president vibe. Yeah, <laughs> you should it's bomb the, the president. <laughs> oh God. How can no. we put this out now? I um, think, but, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I guess. No, no, please, please. No, I was going to say that what's interesting is um, even though you have like, you know, you fall into multiple categories in a sense, everybody identifies with a certain singular group in a healthy way. Like, yeah. would you say that 
Jew is the umbrella thing that encompasses all those things as a, a, a in terms of how you identify with the, the, the Jewish people, the Jewish community at large, or like when hmm. when people talk about Mexican immigration, do you also uh, empathize with that uh, challenge or that struggle or identify with people who are dealing with those challenges? And that's why you were saying you can bring that conversation to people without othering them, without feeling like you're on you're, you while still maintaining that you're on the same side. And that they can they can relate to you because you know what I mean. You yeah, identify politically. hundred percent. I'd say know. like if I have to pick like my most salient identity, mm-hmm. um, it's whichever makes you different at the time, mm-hmm. right? So um, I found, for example, mm-hmm. growing up in the Syrian Jewish community in Deal, mm-hmm. New Jersey, where everyone is a Syrian Jew, mm-hmm. I was the Mexican Jew because no oh. one had ever really met one of those before. Right. And then I, you know, I hopped. Was my that way. by choice, or that's how how people chose to define you? It was just. Everyone that's Syrian in Deal mm-hmm. has family in Brooklyn, and they Yo, all know bro, each other. Yo, bro, she speaks Spanish, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and then suddenly I come in, and it's like, oh, like, who are you? Like, where's your family from? Mm-hmm. I never heard your last name. And it's like, well, I'm from Mexico. And it's like, ah, she's from Mexico. Got it. So I'm Syrian, and I have all the same cultures. I eat the same food. I, mm-hmm. you know, I call my grandpa Judo and my mm-hmm. grandpa Teta. Like, we, we're on the same page about everything. But I happen to be Mexican, so that made me different. Mm-hmm. And then I hop into NYU, and suddenly, you know, forget Syrian, Mexican... No one really knows Sephardic Jews because mm-hmm. there's all the Ashkenazi Jews at NYU and then we got some Persians and then we got like a couple of Syrians. So now suddenly it's like, oh, I'm a Sephardic Jew. Then you step out of the Jewish world and it's like, oh, whoa, I'm just a Jew. Um, but then, you know, I'll, I'll fall into different categories, right? So it, it depends really where I'm at. I think right now where I'm at in my professional career, my personal life, everything, Jew is my greater title, mm-hmm. um, mainly because of, of of the way my podcast works. But I'm still, you know, um, sometimes brought in to do a Hispanic take. Like I have a friend doing a, a Shabbat coming up and he's doing like a Latino Shabbat and I get to talk about Latino customs and, you know, how Latino Jews are different from American Jews, even right. being Syrian, being Sephardic. Mm-hmm. Um, I once was on a podcast. This is very funny. It was for a um, Christian organization, mm-hmm. and um, they, it was for a Hispanic Christian organization, and they just brought me up, and one of the questions they asked me straight up was, so, Adelo, most of our followers are Christian, and I'm like, yes, and like, they've never met a Jew before. I'm like, okay. They're like, <laughs> what do you have to say? And I was like, they're just like us. Like, I didn't know what to say because I was Jesus speaking was in cool, Spanish. Jesus was cool, but not that. Exactly. Like, and it, again, we it was it. an interview <laughs> done in it. Spanish. Oh, we were Confess. bonding. Confess. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. It was weird. It was no, weird. Not oh, God. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was it was weird because it was the first time I did an interview in Spanish for oh. a non-Jewish crowd entirely yeah. where I'm speaking as a representative Jew right. to a Hispanic community, not in English. So that was like a very weird. So again, I, I get to be mm. in a lot of different circles. Intersectionality is like, I own that. I yeah. own intersectionality. And at the same time, it, it kind of debunks it too because it, it speaks to it. the diversity of every individual. Mm-hmm. People right. talk about these communities, these groups, privileged groups, marginalized groups in like sort of woke language and leftist language, you you get that. But within these groups, I would imagine it's the same in the black community or mm. in any other community. It's There's so much diversity amongst individuals and sub-communities 100%. within them it's like that we are putting these like uh, monolithic terms on them as if they're one category. Exactly. Like, dude, I'm and Syrian. Yeah. Within Syrian, we have Halabi and Shami, yeah, right? And then like, it's it, are you from Aleppo or Damascus? Right, right. Right? It's like, it, it, even within our community, <laughs> yeah, like that. there's not that many of us. Why are we still, Yeah. why are yeah. we still separating at the granular level? Right. But it's, it's a very natural thing to do because it's like, we right. have families. <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm a Kozak, Weber, and a Kohab, slash a few more names, but... <laughs> I'm just saying it, it's sort of an instinct, the tribal instinct. Yeah. And it, yeah it's yeah. healthy in certain in certain contexts and it's very unhealthy in other contexts, I, yeah. I would imagine. A hundred percent. Or I do imagine. Or I know. Right, Michael? 
Yes. Um, <laughs> but with that tribal instinct, it, it, it's sort of like a double-edged sword. Like it happens in, I think, with, with families and communities, it creates good cohesion, mm-hmm. a good sense of identity. But I think when it's, when it's imposed on, on people to fit into groups without them taking agency on it, I think that's where it gets ugly. Mm-hmm. I agree. And mm-hmm. I actually, uh, for example... I know I'm a woman. I've always been a woman, but I never felt oppressed as a woman until I went to college and they told me that I was. Right. So then suddenly now, now I can add woman to my intersectional bucket, but it's nice. not really something that I mm. they're like. I'm your first female dad. Yes, that's uh, great for me. Scorpions, yeah, um, <laughs> which is lovely for me. But yeah. it, it's funny because again, um, and now you know, getting to NYU and I have all my friends who are you know going to the women's march talking about female oppression in America. Right. Meanwhile, you know, I start talking to them about the way I grew up, and they're like. Dude, like your community was oppressive. I'm like, what? She's like, your community, like you're telling me most of your friends didn't pursue college educations. I'm like, no, like they got married. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that's oppressive. I was like, what is it? And I started looking at my community in a different lens. I had to take like a huge step back and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It gave whoa. you pause when that happened. It gave me pause in, in, in both ways because in, in one way I got so deep into the – the Syrian Jewish community is so oppressive towards women mm-hmm. when I was told it was. Mm-hmm. And then at one point I had to take a step back and say that that's not it. That's mm-hmm. also not it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like there, there's a truth somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. a community that necessarily like supports women in all their endeavors, but I also wouldn't say I was oppressed. I think it was just like opportunities weren't really presented to me because no one expected me to want them. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you told half my friends from Deal, New Jersey, hey, after high school, you're going to go to college and then you're going to get a job and work for money. <laughs> They'd be like, why are you punishing me? Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. Half of them didn't want to go to college. Right. And, so that's a conversation that's really left out of feminist spaces. Right. And just to mm-hmm. dispel the myth, it's between Ashkenazi Jews and mm-hmm. the, the Syrian community that you're talking about, it's different. Even it's in, different. in our community, yeah. like the, women are expected to pursue mm-hmm. careers uh and you know whether even though there's uh, a pressure to be homemakers at some point that that does that is part of the culture there's certainly more of an emphasis on higher education yeah. and those things so right. it's just and, it's, it's, and it's just, the syrian community yeah. is changing yeah. we have evolved that's yeah. a wonderful thing the syrian community where women usually would just get married right after right. high school and have kids even though that still happens a lot even women who get married right after high school mm-hmm. want to have careers and it doesn't have to necessarily be in education right like they can they don't have to pursue a higher education to have a solid career a lot of them start businesses from their own homes. I have so many friends that are now running like successful clothing lines, jewelry, baking. Influencers. Oh, I actually, I don't know any Syrian Jewish influencers you yet. You do not? No, we got to oh. get one of those. Uh. It's on my list. I'm <laughs> sure there's one. I'm sure there's one. I'm sure we've in got In diamonds them. or something. Yeah, yeah. Someone from Aleppo and someone from Damascus, yeah. they start Ooh. a little channel together. Hey, that's a podcast. Um, I know nothing about Syrian Jews. Yeah, we're oh my God. We're crazy? Crazy? Yeah, like literally nothing. I mean, I, you kind of, you know what it is actually? Sephardic Jews, it's like Sephardic Jews and, and of all stripes and like Syrian Jews, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, within Sephardic, you have this big umbrella, but like it, all of our communities are self-defined. That's the thing, like Sephardim, like we'll identify with each other because no offense, we're uh-huh. just not like you guys, uh-huh. which is, you know, one thing, but... What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, a Moroccan Jew is very different from a Syrian Jew, very uh-huh. different from a Persian Jew. Like when I just said those three things... I picture a bouncer who's ripped, like for, really buff, for which stocky, one? Moroccan. For Moroccan, yeah. mustache. I, yeah. <gasps> Yeah, that's that's what I picture from Moroccan too. For Persian, I picture someone in dental school for some reason. Right. I feel like <laughs> eyes, eyes, optometry, eyes, optometry. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And they also love to be plastic surgeons. Uh huh. How totally. many do you know? That's great. 
great for Persians. Good for them, right? Um, but you, going you, to fix that and that and that and this <laughs> and that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I so also the, lived in LA for ten years, so that's how I so got to know, know Persians. Yeah. And within Persian, uh-huh. Mashadi, right? Mashadi and Tarani. Mashadi and Tarani. That's the whole thing. It is and that. You don't know this, my guy. You don't know any idea. Well, I mean, it's for like Ashkenazim, right? Like if I talk about like Russian Jews, you're gonna be like, oh, those are Soviet. They're not exactly Ashkenazi, but they are Ashkenazi, right? And then like you have like your depending on what wave you came on and immigration, right. you're different. So it, it, Yekis, yeah, 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 yeah. but we're all white. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not me though. I'm Not apparently what? not. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> no, but no, but there there is that kind of like bias there where like I assume you're like I'm like, why are you guys so particular about which part of the Middle East you mm-hmm. came from? Right. Like, you know, there, there is like there's probably something racist in there in some yeah. capacity. There is. I think you know? well the same way you're probably like, who cares what part of Europe you're from? Like you're all kind of like pale. You're all kind of weak. milk toast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you guys have been here longer. I, my yeah. family's been here, yeah. Yeah. Version I picked. I picture, um, I'm going to say this, the, uh, there's a, guy, a, a, a couple I know and she's, I was at a meal with them and she's married to a, per, a Syrian guy. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't like, well, tell me what you think of this statement. She said it, I'm quoting. Okay. <laughs> she goes, I don't get it. When I go, I'm like, I cannot live in deal. I, I, I told them when we got married, I'm not living here. All, all these guys think they're so hot. They're all so ugly. And they're also unattractive. He's like, I know I'm unattractive. I got a beautiful Ashkenazi girl. I know I'm not good looking. I know it. Yeah. And he's hilarious. And I was like, oh, interesting. And I picture like the slick back hair, club like shirt, silk shirt. Yo, bro, 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 you're crazy, bro. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. I know like seven of those. Okay. You know? uh, right. Minimum. Those are just the ones that come to mind. Yeah, I, um, I just asked a, fr- a friend of ours. Um, his wife is from Brooklyn and she's Syrian. And he, and he said like going back there for Shabbos is tough. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like what do these people respect? Like – like when you walk into a room and you're not Syrian, what what would you have to be for them to gain their respect? Mm. And he he said there's pretty much nothing you can do besides being from Syria. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what job you have, how much money you make, like or descendant directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah. He's like he's like basically you're either in the club or you're there's nothing you can do to get yeah. in. Whereas like within in, in like an Ashkenazi shul, like I I would think like if you have a ton of money. <laughs> like honestly like people be interested in you right you know like you no matter where you're from like there's that like you know, openness he does well. there's you know, openness he... to rich people no matter what you know, he does well. but you're saying as far as it's like I, they don't care it's, right 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 exactly yeah. exactly yeah. you bring home an ashki guy is that like a big issue um in my family no but right. in most syrian families yeah it's like I, i've actually like I've, I've gone on dates with ashkenazi guys and they're like is this is this okay and i'm yeah. like don't worry my family is very liberal right like they're very mm-hmm. liberal in this like liberal. i can't study more than two hours away from my home and i have to be home every single shabbat right. but like mad liberal do you really have to go home yeah. every single shabbat i mean there's no such thing as have to anymore but right. i'm expected right. to be home every shabbat and i do go in college home. too in college and now wow. i'm you know post-grad and back in law school and wow. when i was working nice about full that. adult person going home every weekend wow. that is so impressive it's so cute <laughs> <laughs> um I, what's interesting is in terms of you know the expectations for the women in the syrian community what was your reaction we talk a lot about like our general mm. jewish sort of modern orthodox community and all that encompasses on mm. you know how it affects people's choices in career and going into creative endeavors versus sort of the approved careers of you know whatever it's real estate insurance medicine law those kinds of yeah. careers mm-hmm. that are just presented to you. Like you like you talked about how there were only certain opportunities put in front of you, so you sort of had to look beyond that or find your way uh, beyond those expectations. Um, so like we talk about the relationship between the Jewish community and the modern Orthodox community to creativity, creative endeavors, j- jobs outside the box. Mm-hmm. What's your experience been like in terms of just jobs outside of <laughs> expected, you know, uh, yeah. life well, choices as a Syrian Mexican? 
junior community. I love that. I mean, <laughs> I, I picked a very weird career that mm. no one else. I, I chose activism, which mm-hmm. is not. It was not a career right. until um, a couple of people decided to make it a career. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say like for the for the most part, it was very normal for guys not to really want to go to college. And if they did go to college, a lot of them already knew they were going to work for their family businesses. Mm-hmm. But their change was just so drastic from one generation to the next. So for example, my generation, uh, there are only maybe five or six girls in my entire grade who are not married right now. Mm-hmm. And most of them are on their first or second child. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ones that did get married right after high school or a couple of years after high school, some of them started their college education. I think that maybe also there were only like five or six of us that went to college out of state and dormed, like maybe even less than six of us. Mm-hmm. Um, my little sister's grade, every single girl went to college. I think they had maybe three that didn't, and that's Mm. because they went to Israel. Mm -hmm. And the colleges that they're going to are very different, right? So I went to NYU, and I was like, oh, Adela went to NYU, right? My sister went to Princeton. Can I ask what year you graduated (laughs) high school? Yes, I graduated high school in 2015. Uh, My sister graduated in 2020. (laughs) Cool, so within five years. Within five years. Exponential. Exponential. Like suddenly you have girls going to Princeton. Like in in my year, that that was unheard of, right? right? Not that every girl's going to Princeton. My sister is very unique if she's listening. She, (laughs) She is. She's phenomenal but it's like girls want to get the radar shifted the radar yeah completely Uh and it's not even just with the girls it's like now every single guy like if a guy isn't going to college that's like weird it's like why Uh aren't you going to college is that social media like what's what happened in those five years it's a great question i have no idea Uh i think a lot of it's also like we we use the term a lot education inflation i feel like nowadays like you just need it's it's like guys don't really know how to start their life right after high school Mm -hmm. like if you told a a way to grow up the prolonged growing up yeah grow up and incubate a little Mm -hmm. longer that's that's what i think it is personally especially mm-hmm. like i was the biggest proponent because again when i was going to college college was like it was still on the cusp of like do people go to college or not in this community mm-hmm. um or at least for the girls and especially an out-of-state college and dorming like that that's the thing like a lot of girls went to our local college or to maybe Rutgers, which is mm-hmm. like 45 minutes away but like to decide to go to another state live in a dorm that was just not really something a lot of people did mm-hmm. um and I think really what changed was, number one, education inflation. And I used to be like, again, like everyone should go to college. Every single person I was having the time of my life, I was learning so much. I was loving my classes. I was meeting people who weren't Syrian Jews. Mm-hmm. I was meeting non-Syrian Jews and I was also meeting non-Jews. Jews. Like that was like, what? <laughs> it, it was crazy. I had the best time. Right. And, and then Island finally, Jews, yeah. Island Jews, five towns. Island Jews, five Island towns. Angle with T-neck. Ooh, you got T-neck exposure. Tenafly. Lucky you. Livingston. So many you got, people. You went from Hello to, Yeah. Hello wow. Jews. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. The Hillel, like the conservative reform Hillel Jew, is a whole different thing. Oh, you mean like Hillel in college? Like Hillel, yeah. like Hillel in college. Yeah, yeah. You I know, the curly haired like, guy yeah. with the button all the way up to the Yeah, very different. Hi. Yeah, hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Very different. And his friend in engineering. Yeah. Like, yeah. like those people. Very different. Right. Those first time I met that too, I was like, mm, right. know. you know, you go to Hillel that first time, you're like, there's like a smell there's a body odor issue oh yeah, oh, yeah. There's a, there's always a, always but it's funny, it's funny cause <laughs> it's like that on Hillel's across the board like that's that's not just uh yeah yeah you know, no it's a universal Hillel that's so funny yeah that's their brand yeah. it's a thing you could just that's a, it's a, like you know everyone you say that that's the experience and there's like a there's like a, there's confident nerds you know it's Hillel. a weird thing yeah. well I would like to I wonder what we oh, could do. Uh, there was a guy in, in in college who used to say, "Well, my friend, if we got together with me, perhaps we could do something." He had like a speech impediment. And he just he did it. He's like, "Hello, Howard. Would you like to come to my dorm and do an experiment?" And I'm like, and he just walked around. He wasn't a he wasn't a shiner. He was like, "I'm proud. Nobody's and good." I saw a Venn diagram. I forgot who put it out. It's weird. It's interesting. Good for them. There was a Venn diagram for like dork, nerd, and like. 
What, what was the last geek? one? Geek. Yeah. You've seen that. The, I didn't the, see it. No, I'm just... No, uh, but it was something like, 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 of like, like <laughs> smart, obsessed with something, uh, social skills. I think that those were like the things in the middle. Right, right. And it, they had some weird Venn diagram. I, I can't remember what it was, but like someone was saying like how like they like a geek is like not smart. They're just obsessed with something right. and has no social <laughs> skills. Right, right. And geek uh, can apply to regular... Like anybody. Everybody gets geeky about certain yeah, things. Yeah, like getting yeah. geeky is like getting obsessed. Yeah, yeah, but you're not a geek. Not a geek. You're, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I I had a whole. Let's phase. geek out. I mean, you know, yeah, that, yeah. Like, nerd I, I was really has maybe Go. physical ailments a little, like a really, really like nerd has lacks physical strength. I don't know. So I think that they said that nerd was lack social so skills oh. and um <laughs> and smart, like lack social skills, smart. You're a nerd. Um, and then the last one I think was like obsessed with something and smart, and that would make you a dork. Ah, uh, ner- yes, the combos put you in categories. Like a nerd could be hot though, like Seth Cohen from the OC. Is that a really bad? Oh, that's really way old. Seth Cohen sounds Jewish. Is he single? Yeah. Seth uh, Cohen is that. Ju- was he Jewish in the you show? You dated us. That show lasted like three years in the spotlight. Yeah. Whatever, oh, man. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. That's fine. The OC. Remember that? Show? California. Do you, know, you don't know that show? The OC? Uh, I, I've heard of it. I don't know. Oh, boy. Longer than us. No, I thought you were going to say she's Mexican. Michael and I are 48 and 52. I assume everyone's <laughs> older than me still. Um, that's, that's how I was younger. Yeah, I mean. Currently in law school. I am currently in law school. And we. Are not. Um, no. We are older. We, but not it much. would be weird if we went to law school now. Probably. Uh, no, no. I took two years off, and actually, most of my friends are older students. Mm. We would have to go to night school, I think. <laughs> yeah. No, you'd be surprised no? that there's there's parents. There's this one guy okay. who like used to like be in like bartending for like. 30 years and now he's like no nah, I want to be a lawyer I'm like do it there's one girl who has like a full master's and a PhD mm-hmm. couldn't get a job in academia she's like I guess I'm going to go into law like there's there's a lot of interesting people in law school How- I, well, I think I'll do the mature thing and in my mid 30s and just make silly uh, videos on <laughs> yeah. Instagram I think do that's it. what I need to focus do on it. I guess to be, I'll to, just be a content creator that's what I was saying before education inflation yeah. now that I'm looking back not everyone needed to go to college and actually yeah, my kid told me that their passion was going to be something outside of like the regimen of like what college can actually get you ready yeah. for I would be like don't go to college save the money take a training program I, I spoke to someone a hiring executive I forgot in what company he does mm-hmm. marketing yeah. and he said that there's marketing courses that are a year long that if he sees that on a resume he immediately wants to hire them mm-hmm. and he goes actually mm-hmm. if they took a two-year course in marketing like course in marketing of this training seminar as opposed to a four-year college he'd rather hire that yeah, kid right yeah i watched this show on netflix called uh, last chance you have you ever come across that no. it's like it's really cool they have a football one and a basketball one and mm-hmm. it's it's kids it's like real it's like insane athletes mm-hmm. who got kicked out of every other school because of behavioral problems but they're really good athletes and they, and it's like the bottom of the barrel. Like mm-hmm. if you can't get a scholarship from this school, you're like you can't be a professional athlete ever. So so it's like a group of the worst behaving best athletes in the country, like just playing. Like it's, it's just it's a cool show. And 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 they're desperate to go to college. Mm-hmm. And like if, if it doesn't work out for them in like this season, like like their 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 hopes and dreams are done. Oh, yeah, but I don't understand why they all need to go to college. Like wouldn't they be better off if they just like got a job? And started working. Like, what is a what is a college degree in communications going to do for someone? Yeah, no, nowadays nothing. Look, like, dude, yeah. I, I built my own yeah. major. I went to Galton a, and yeah. I studied Middle Eastern diaspora structures. Right. What does that even mean? It means nothing. But Galton I knew means I was you're gonna, buying time. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I knew I was going to work either in, in, in politics. The or Olsen in law. twins went there too. Remember they that did. was my dream. <laughs> so to did go the Sprouse there. twins. We're a big uh. twin school. You know. <laughs> 
Um, Who are the Sprouse twins? <laughs> Do yeah. you know? No, I know the Olsen twins. Who are the Dylan Sprouse twins? Dylan and Cole Sprouse. Sweet not... Life of Zach and Cody. We... <gasps> now you're oh, dating you yourself. That? Is that Cody? Oh, is Cody Simpson or no? No. no. Cody we are 90s older. kids. I think <laughs> yeah. you're uh, like an odd uh, I was born in 96. I was born in 86. I was born in 86. Okay, you are 90s early kids. day millennials. You I'm a latter day millennial. We're yeah. different kinds of millennials. Look at us. We both like twins and sitcoms. We have. I get it. But. Um, but the truth is, I think about that all the time. We talk about like we got lucky in the sense like, that the internet went the way it went in terms of creator economy and content the way we see it now. Like the reason mm. people made I, I totally get the argument now, like college is profoundly a waste of time for most people, especially at the cost. Mm. And and if you're especially if you're taking on debt or whatever, if if you're not focused on specific things, um, there are certain things, engineering and other things that require further study, but for that time to be spent in college, if you're focusing on what you could be building up in terms of, I sound like literally Gary Vee, I've become a parody of myself. But um, <laughs> it, but we didn't know that then, like that this stuff was happening. YouTube was just acquired by Google when mm-hmm. I was like a freshman, and everyone was just worried that you were just trying to you were trying to create these little safety nets of like college degrees and things that get you through gates because we were in such a gatekeeper mindset back then. Mm-hmm. The way to get through things is to get past this level and get past this level. And you're not going to like – if you're in like the arts, you're not going to get to an audience until you get signed by a label and you're not going to get to mm. any of this stuff because there was no distribution then. Yeah. We didn't we, – it was all required much more investment and much more of the credentialism back yeah. then. That's been withering away more and more with time as people can surpass all that in almost every avenue like in journalism, in arts, mm-hmm. in music, in, in comedy, whatever it is. You can build up these organic audiences. But that's – been this or exponentially like growing fast thing over the past few years. And we're just lucky it went that way, I think, because yeah. it allows for these opportunities. Yeah. I definitely think it sheds light on the point of co- college being a waste of time today yeah. for I, a lot of people. Like I'm a big fan now that I'm in law school. Mm-hmm. It's very different to go to a vocation-based school right. where mm-hmm. everyone's there to learn law in order to practice law. And right. I'm learning law, which I will practice, mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm taking a class on Ottoman Aleppo. That's what they do in the UK. Like their undergrad is grad. Which which it should be. Actually in Spanish, the word for major, there is no word for major. It's not like, what's your major? The word is career. It's like, what's your career? Major. (laughs) Major, I thought. Oh, what were we talking about Spanish? Sorry. I can't roll my R's, so I can't say, but it's Carrera. Carrera. I can't know. It's a long story. I did a whole episode about it, and it's really traumatic to me, and I started going to therapy, and it's going okay. You have a Spanish speech impediment, but your English is perfection. Yes, I do. It's a thing? Look at that. Is that a thing in like Mexico for kids who came to the I have an actual speech impediment, yeah. Like full speech impediment. It's like as if like I literally am coming in here with a hard lisp. Yeah, except my English is perfect. Your diction is fantastic. I had a speech therapist from Vermont. It's like Israelis. They never learn the R. Yeah, I know. And it never comes up in Hebrew. Is that why some Israelis have lisps, but maybe they, there's not that sound in Hebrew? Well, there is, but it kind of works in Hebrew and it kind of works in Spanish, the lith. You know, cause, like, what's the, the Spanish one that has a list built in? C- uh, Castilian. 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 Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Spaniards. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you see the yeah. contempt in her voice? No, but in Israel, you can sort of, you know, it's like, it's, it, you can do this. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. It's in, in, for some reason, and, and, when they, and, and then you find a lot of speech impediments come about, you know, the owls, the very soft owl. They can't do the the wa the wa because they never have to. There's mm-hmm. no and if if every listener is really trying, they go read. They really growl it out. <laughs> but it's so interesting. You never think about impediments yeah. in other languages. No. Yeah, but well, you, that's why I always say like God had a path for me. Like He knew I needed to be yeah. in the U.S. Like I could be someone. Totally. Yeah. So when when does someone decide they're going to be an activist? Um, that's a good question. How does that happen? And what and you were you you mentioned before we started mm. about activism versus ad, advocacy yeah. and activism yeah. certainly has like a 
left wing flavor to it. Yes, it so. does. And, and, uh, and for anyone, you're an Israel activist. Yes, I, I am. Okay. I, I, I consider myself a Jewish advocate, okay. and I'll explain why. But yes, I, I also okay. do Israel activism within my Jewish advocacy. All right, comment section, <laughs> free Palestine. Here they come. Oh, no. <laughs> you're welcome. Now you're yeah. you're on this. Uh, there come yeah. the flags. We can't win. The hate is gonna. We know it's pouring in in real time. Just keep typing, keyboard warriors. I have a couple of followers who are really loyal. Actually, this one guy comments on every single TikTok I post. Yeah, one guy he always goes because my podcast is obviously about Judaism and Israel and all these things, and he comments like literally every video he posts. Still a podcast about nothing, and every single time I reply to him, thanks again for checking in. What does he want me to say? There's always that question, do you engage with the one or not? And then like... He's stealing my time, not just my like yeah. bad mood or my good mood. And well, it's not. I don't care, but I'm like, just this is it's not a good faith. It doesn't get to me. No. It doesn't. It, but it's just I, I, I like sort of conceptually acknowledge that it's disturbing that this is out there, and yeah. that gets to me. Not like the yeah. comment, like my feelings. It's not like a personal thing. It's more like a concern, and yeah. I want to get to that too. The narrative, but yeah, your activism. How did, how activism. did you become yeah. an activist? So before I get into how I got there, do you want me to talk about what I did? Yes. Oh yeah, the thing. <laughs> the thing. Yes. What did you? What the did you thing. do? What well, did I do? Take. Did, did, well, I mean, start to, I'm more interested. I think in like in is that how you became an activist? Uh, yes and no. You know what? I'll give you a little tidbit. So I want to talk a little more about how we want to have the conversation. That's cool. No, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to give you like we're going to start all the way no, back because we're definitely going to get to the thing. Okay, but we're so, not necessarily so we'll, going to we'll cover like we'll the, the moment. Tune in next week for the thing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> there's a big thing. There's a big thing yes. coming. So take us, um, give us the full context. I'll give you the full context. So when yeah. I was in fourth grade, we're going to go way back. Mm. I was a little girl in Deal, New Jersey, mm. and uh, my parents started their divorce proceedings. Mm. And my mom looked at me and she said, "You're going to go to college and you're going to get a job." And that was kind of what made me different from the rest of my friends because by the time I, I actually ended up in high school and things like that, I actually had goals. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in fourth grade, for some reason, an NYU pamphlet fell onto my lap and it said, NYU, the school for leaders. And I don't know why from that <laughs> moment I said, I'm going to go to NYU and I'm going to be a leader. And this is a true story that my mom can corroborate mm-hmm. since literally if you would ask people like when I was in eighth grade, hey, what do you want to do? I'd be like, I'm going to go to NYU and be a leader. My brother was applying to colleges at one point and you know, he said, I'm going to go to Wharton. And I said, I want to go to NYU. Guess what? My brother didn't get into Wharton. He ends up going to NYU. So then when I got into NYU, everyone's like, oh, like your brother. I'm like, no, 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 that was my thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was always my thing. Anyway, I get to NYU. I decide that I'm going to go and be a leader. I didn't know how. I thought I was going to do um, human trafficking in Latin America, United Nations route. That was really what you're I was You're going to do it at. or are you going to do I was not going to do it. I was going to do it against too. it. I was <laughs> not going to traffic humans. I was going to stop the trafficking of humans. Um, but that's, that's really like what I, I, I knew. I wanted <laughs> not with my speech impediments. Oh, I can't. Right. Why do you st- what, you gotta roll your arms? Get out of the way. Like, no, <laughs> um, okay, okay yeah. I'll work against it. So, so you, you, this thing hit you in childhood, it was resonant, yeah. and it just kept I sticking. I knew I wanted you, to be idea. a change maker. I just yeah. didn't know how. Yeah. Um I didn't know how, and I thought that I would find that in college. And you know, when I got to college, I, I didn't want to really do the Jewish thing. I said Judaism is a huge part of my life. It's always gonna be part of my life. I'm mm. gonna go home every weekend to deal, I'm gonna eat kosher, but it's not who I'm going to be in college. And that was always my thing, right? So mm. my freshman year, I didn't dorm in the Jewish storm. I was still mm-hmm. going to have Jewish friends, but I had a radio show. We'll start um, with dairy out, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but I already had, yeah. had dairy yeah. out, so I, I didn't, I didn't go over. Different but yeah, no, I, I really wanted to branch out and meet other people yeah. who weren't Syrian cool. Jews exactly like me. Right. And um, one day I came across a group in the park called Realize Israel. They were just a group of like senior boys giving out Israeli flags. I'd never really met anyone before and Mm -hmm. I was Jewish. So I took a flag and we stood in a circle and they started talking about people who lost their lives in a terror attack earlier that week. Mm -hmm. 
And one of them was Ezra Schwartz, who was exactly my age. Mm. And he was just in Israel volunteering. And he was on a tour bus. And a, a lot of people, uh, he was on a, a regular bus, sorry. And a lot of people who were there actually knew him personally. I did not. And Hussein Hatikva, you remember, remember this, this right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, was, it was the 2015 fall. Is he from L.A.? No, I think he was from, from, he was from Massachusetts because my friend who works at a college in Massachusetts had a lot of students who personally knew him. Yeah, it was Boston, I think. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think the Newton community and stuff. I, yeah. His girlfriend yeah. at the time went to NYU. Right. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. it was just kind of like this moment where everyone was talking um, in this circle, in this vigil, and we were all holding flags, and we started singing Hatikva with total strangers, and... And I said, how did I go from a yeshiva where, you know, we said, and I prayed two times a day. And like, how did I go from that to not even knowing that someone my age was killed in Israel doing something I could have been doing at that very moment, mm-hmm. right? Taking a bus, volunteering, yeah. taking a year off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of started reevaluating and I, I said, I, I'm not going to look for a cause to fight for if I already have my own. So I asked to join this group, this Realize Israel group. And what I didn't know is I had literally just formed a couple months before it was literally just a group chat. And um, by the end of my freshman year, I became president of that group, vice president of that group. By the end of my sophomore year, I became president. And I served as president for two full years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still involved in secular things. So I was still on student government. Um, I was representing Jewish students, international students, and um, students uh, of faith backgrounds, I think. I, I, I had like, oh, and students in Greek life. That's where I was. Those were my three constituencies. And we were working on food insecurity and we were doing like all these like actual important things to me mm-hmm. you know, on student government, like making sure everyone has access to meals. We tried to get Metro cards. It didn't work, but that was the thing that we were working on. And then suddenly everything became about Israel-Palestine on campus. And I was president of the Israel group. I was on student government. And next thing I know, I find myself in this crazy campus environment. So here's where we get to the thing. Mm. It all started with one mention, the mention of Zionism in the same category as racism and Nazism. Mm -hmm. And it was an internal memo for the Governance Council of Minority Students. And I'm in student government, so I saw this. No one else saw this. Um, But I said it. Can you just clarify what that that was something that was circulating through what exactly? Okay, so I'll explain. There were were a lot of things going on at NYU that month. So there were swastikas found in a residence hall. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a Black History Month situation where apparently they were serving watermelon and fried chicken. I was not involved. Okay. And um, we, yeah, and <laughs> not getting involved. Okay. And um, realized Israel had held multiple events because we were just an up and coming group on campus. Right. So the memo read something like this To the minority community, we have been from hell and back for the last couple of weeks from Nazism in our residence halls oh. to racism in our dining halls to Zionism on our campus. And mm. I was like, <laughs> one of these is not like the others, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I, I had sent it to a couple of other Jewish students um, involved outside of Realize Israel, inside of Realize Israel, and um, everyone was like, you know, pretty much like taken aback. It was the first time that we really saw this open anti-Zionism during our time at NYU. So together we said, what should we do? We said, let's craft a letter. So we got, um, of the 17 Jewish clubs on campus, we got 15 of their presidents to sit together and we co-drafted a letter, not angry, mm-hmm. not calling out, but disappointed and explaining why, as a Jewish community, it's offensive to put Zionism in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything was ready to go. We were ready to publish. And the night before, I got a call from a mentor of mine who worked for the university and who was in a position of leadership when it came to the Jewish community. And um, he said, hey, you know, I heard about the statement and I heard about this letter. And I said, yeah, we're ready to publish. It's actually really great. And he said, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, 
probably no one read it. The only people who read it were you guys. Like you only saw it because you're on student government. If you draw attention to it, it's just going to get bigger. If you ignore it, it's just going to go away. And I sat and I thought about it for a long time. And I ultimately made the executive decision against the wishes of the other 14 presidents to not publish the letter. And I held that back. And over the next four months, NYU became one of the most anti-Semitic campuses in the United States. Um, so I'm just going to do a quick buzz yeah, through. So you decided not to publish. I decided not to publish. And I'll Evil go back to, to what happened then. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I decided yeah. not to publish. And then right after that, we had the... I'm picturing that. But if you just ignore it. It'll go away. That's literally how <laughs> like it The was. guy from the office, from uh, what's that? From uh, Office space. Office space. Yeah. Why don't we just... <laughs> it'll go away that's how it was no that's oh, how it was and, wow. and and again this is a moment of, of weakness on my part but yeah. I wouldn't do it differently and I'll explain why yeah, but yeah. Um, ultimately I don't publish and then within two weeks we have a resolution on student government against the NYU Tel Aviv campus we have a coalition of 53 groups that's one in every six boycotting Realize Israel, the club mm -hmm. that I was president of, as well as Israel, as well as the APAC groups, um, also including that Hillel is a Zionist organization that should be boycotted, right? And then after that, we have a group of 70 professors sign a boycott against Israeli academics, Jeez. visiting academics from our Tel Aviv campus. So just like we're getting hit every two weeks, something else. And I'm right. starting well, to meet with administrators. To be fair to you, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but mm -hmm. I can understand not out, of, not out of cowardice, but out of, look, do I want to highlight, highlight this, this ugly yeah. thing that's like this disease like thought mm -hmm. or do I want it to wither away and yeah. there's there's a chance there's a possibility it does yeah I would have done the same thing yeah. I think yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that's crazy. So now it, it, it the opposite happens. The opposite yeah. happens. festers and the wound festers. festers but but it wasn't because you didn't put the letter out. Oh well, no, but I'll, I'll explain what happened okay. then. Okay. Um, so at this point, we just have resolutions everywhere. Everyone's mm. boycotting everyone. We have clubs dropping our partnership. We were going to do a Krav Maga Jiu Jitsu event with the Brazilian Student Association, mm -hmm. and they dropped the partnership because they didn't want to be boycotted. Right? It, it mm -hmm. just it got really socially isolating yeah. and it, um, they started posting pictures of Jewish students on social media calling them fascists of the week like it, it doxing. Was just, yeah doxing oh, it was not fun if you associated openly with Hillel then you basically wouldn't get student government positions and again I'm meeting with administrators Jeez. at this point every this? week this is 2018 spring oh. Well, in our day, it was yeah. like people would be crazy, yeah. and you'd be like, "Ooh, shit!" Oh wait, screaming. it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> I was there in 2016, and there was none of that. Yeah, well, yeah. 2016, you guys had the eviction notice. Oh no, no, I was there 2016. 2016 was yeah. dope. That was a good year for it was me. A good year. That was a fun year. That was <laughs> a fun year. Did what I could. Yeah, yeah. that was a good time. Oh, uh, I was at NYU. yeah, I was there. I went there for grad school. You're a Maryland undergrad, but you went to NYU for yeah, grad yeah, school. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. It's a good place. Yeah. It wasn't um, good so it gets worse. So it gets yeah, worse. So then go. leading up to Yom Ma'ut, we usually rent out Washington Square Park and we have mm -hmm. this huge Yom Ma'ut, Israel Independence Day for everyone listening, celebration. Mm -hmm. um, and usually it's like 300 kids in the park wrapped in Israeli flags, you know, singing Hatikva and trees vibrate with energy. And my mom looks at it and she goes, this is Judaism in the 21st century. And it's, it's organized so by Realize Israel. By Realize Israel. Yeah. So Realize Israel, rave in the park. Actually, right. we're having the first one this year since COVID. But um, usually it's this beautiful event. And that year I knew it would be protested. Mm -hmm. So I spoke again to administrators. I said I was worried for student safety. Everyone told me I was overreacting. Lo and behold, the event kicks off with an anti-Israel student coming to the front of the protest line with an Israeli flag and lighting it on fire. Mm. Just threw it on the ground and let it burn. 
Then we had, um, you know, we, we told everyone to just stick to the party, stick to the protest. <laughs> you know, we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> putting out the flag. <laughs> but can you step on a flag to put it? I don't know. Say, what do you do? Weird. Uh, right. um, but yeah, then bottom line, we had um, another anti-Israel student during Hatikva, during that moment, grab a girl's arm, pull her, yell free Palestine into the microphone. And then they took our 10-foot Israeli flag, tore it to shreds, hung it from trees and from from lampposts and then NYPD steps in because of property theft and damage, mm. reckless endangerment, um, and assault, which is mm. a you know physical, yeah. physical mm. tort, which I now know is also criminal. And now mm. I go to law school and I know all these things, which is mm. so lovely. Um, but you know, NYPD steps in, yeah. and um, I, <laughs> yeah, Wild. so I speak to the school and I'm like, look, you can't tell me I'm overreacting. NYPD has stepped in. There's been you know assault. Um, there's been violent action taken against my community. What are you going to do about it? And at this point, the school tells me they're going to take action, but behind the scenes. But your juice. But your juice. Yeah, that's <laughs> so pretty much how it was. But so your juice. Yeah. Here is my second regret. Yeah. They tell me that they're going to take action behind the scenes, and I trust the school. Um, and everyone tells me all the other Jewish students are like, Adela, that's stupid. The school's not going to do anything. Mm. And I'm like, I'm trusting the school. And um, less than a year later, the school, instead of actually taking action, not only mm. did they not do nothing, they gave an award to Students for Justice in Palestine. They gave them the President's Service Award, which mm. is the highest honor you wow. can get as a club. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and, that a, point, and a pyrotechnic award. This is just really bizarre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is, I find with anti-Semitism is a strange brand of racism that everyone's strange like, brand. yeah. Everyone just seems to just forget, relax. They start celebrating. So yeah. now suddenly violent actions are yeah. not only not alarming, they're being celebrated. They're saying, you know how to win an award at NYU? You're going to pick a minority community. You're going to assault their members. You're going to boycott them. You're going to burn their flags. You're going to get arrested by NYPD. You're going to spend two years harassing them, posting pictures of them on social media. And NYU will say, you are exemplar. Mm -hmm. That's what NYU was saying at mm -hmm. that moment. Yeah. And I started thinking about double standards, right? Because how do they burn a Mexican flag, which I affiliate with? Mm -hmm. And started chanting, no Mexicans at NYU. Mexican mm. students have a right to be afraid. Yeah. And NYU would at least make a statement. Had they burned an LGBTQ flag? Yeah. Are you telling me NYU would give an award to the group that burned it? So do they say no no Zionists or no Israelis? No Zionists. They don't They're say Zionists. no Jews. Right, so that's the difference, right? I know, that's I, the difference. And that's I'm, the I'm not saying I support one of them. I'm just... Yes, that, that is, is that's that's how they explain well, it. That you is what say, you're saying. No, that's no, how they explain it. It's like saying no Mexicans. It's burning the Mexican flag while yelling no illegals. Because it's a... It, it's not Mexicans. I'm Mexican. I'm not a well, well, what, what would a Mexican nationalist be called? Like uh, a Mexican national? What do you mean? No, no, like, no, like, like a nationalist. Like that's the. Well, this that is part of a the, larger conversation we had thing. about the tucked about yeah. the claim about obvious. You know that we talk about a lot. The conversation of is anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. What? How do you define yeah. Zionism? And it, it it's it's definitely a confused area for most people yeah. because but I you're not confused about it. Well, I'm, I'm not confused about it because you, you even just asked, right? What would you call a Mexican nationalist? And I would just say a Mexican. Mm. So uh -huh. why is it suddenly like the, like the only country that's questioned whether mm. or not you have a right to believe the country should exist is mm. Israel. And mm. if you say it's because it was only founded recently, sure, look at any other country. India was founded the same year as, NY, as um, Israel through the same treaty with the UN, right? At the same time, look at Pakistan, look at Bangladesh. All of them are newer countries than Israel is. And all of those were either fought through treaty or war, and Israel had both. So if any country has a right to exist, it's Israel. So again, You're preaching to the contended. choir. I know. Yeah? Preaching to the choir. <coughs> but actually, not I, you? No, I, no, I, I mean, I, I'm the choir. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Michael is no, I, I have, we um, had a conversation recently about this, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We had a private conversation about it. Um, and 
No, I'm I'm like t- I not not that I have to defend myself. I'm like t- <laughs> no, I, I, I like, do know, you know that there's I'm, a no, line. I'm, I'm totally pro Israel, but I li- I listen t- I listen to the arguments against mm-hmm. it, and I try to understand where they're coming from, and some questions I don't have answers to necessarily. Um, so I want to ask you some of them actually. Yeah, I'm happy. To, um, happy to I don't have to do it right now. Uh, I, just, I, w- I want to finish the story no, first. I do, should we? I, I like. I, we're in a cool spot here because I actually think this whole thing about the narrative about Israel is where this double standard comes from. Mm-hmm. And I did want to talk about that as a like sort of a macro subject. Do you want to get to the thing first, or yeah, let's get to the thing first? <laughs> okay, yeah, we can wrap it up. These people, yeah, yeah. they think they're in the thing. You're yeah. not even in the Listen, thing yet. Listen, yeah, okay. I just like this. We're keeping people hooked. Thing it's is like yeah. Yeah. And then so we good. talked about the thing, and then yeah, the thing. The thing. Um, so, so this all amounts to basically Jews get no support, no sense of safety, no sense of recognition on campus. Hate towards Jews is completely like you know thrown under the rug, washed over, mm-hmm. glossed over, and. Uh, and you're, le- you're left saying, what the hell is what with this here? morally bankrupt administration? Yeah. So at this point, I try to get a meeting with the vice president of NYU, who I'd been meeting with for months before mm-hmm. this, right? And now suddenly, no one takes my calls. I try to call mm-hmm. the other administrators I had met with. No one takes my calls. Their secretaries tell me they're too busy. I physically go to their offices. They tell me they're too busy. Mm-hmm. And finally, they schedule me out for the first week of May, which was the week of my graduation. <laughs> And I said, you can't meet with me sooner. And he said, no, first week of May, I'm very busy. And I said, okay. So I left that room and I got in touch with lawyers and I asked if I had a case against the school. And the lawyer said no. (laughs) (laughs) Because at the time, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which holds that every academic institution must keep discrimination from happening and when it does happen, must remedy it from occurring again, Mm -hmm. um, doesn't include religion. It only includes uh, nationality, ethnicity, and race. And Judaism was, at the time, none of those. Why would it not include religion? Um, that's a great question. I did not draft the civil rights Seems act. like a, gr- a glitch. Seems um, like a glitch there. Yeah. Seems like a glitch. I mean, saying everyone, that seems like just so second well, nature today, I guess. Yeah, it's so second nature. It, it wasn't the issue of the time. So I, I understand. Oh, it's based in like 1960s yeah, civil rights. So it's really a racial and yeah. ethnic issue. Yeah. And it is. race was not. I mean, religion was not really part of that conversation. Yeah, religion. At, I mean, like at we, the time when we, the law, when 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 the statute was, when it was put into law. Exactly. Like okay. we we had our situation going on in the background of anti-Semitism because there's always anti-Semitism, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the issue of the moment, and that's why I understand. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not mad about that. But um, essentially, I spoke to the lawyers, and they're like, "Send us everything you have." Mm-hmm. And after I did mm-hmm. that, they called me the day after and said, "This is the strongest case we've seen." They said again, "You're legally not likely going to win." It was a like civil rights lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, Most and people your age and our age at the time would be like, "Yeah, it's crazy at school." They wouldn't. They wouldn't do <laughs> shit. <laughs> they would just be like, "That was a weird party." <laughs> it's, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's really bad. On. Anyway, <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> but you yeah. were like, "No." So that's uh, good on you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a unique temperament to have to care enough to do something at that age in in school. Like most people don't don't do anything right about anything. You can have opinions, but. Oh, yeah. most people don't get a pamphlet when they're in fourth grade from NYU yeah. that says it's yeah. a school no, for leaders. No, you've always kind of yeah. had this, you know, yeah. advanced like uh, call to action. It was kind of Would like you do moment. that like like with what happened tonight? If you ordered like a thirty dollars salad and they oh only sent you like four par- pargiot, would you also call the restaurant? Can I tell you what I did once? <laughs> <laughs> this is not going the way you wanted it to, but keep going. No, no, I'm curious. Time, is, it, is it like the only yeah, time? Yeah, the only time that I actively complained to a manager. Ever, where I even said, like, I want to speak to your boss. And your bo- I pulled a full Karen was. I went to a kosher restaurant in New York, which I will not name, mm. which is not a fancy restaurant. It's mm. like a 
fast casual restaurant. Cosmo, mm-hmm. yeah, keep going. And <laughs> they charged me four dollars and fifty cents for a tea, which is hot water and a bag of Lipton. It wasn't even a fancy tea, mm-hmm. and they didn't even refill it. Cosmo, it wasn't. Yeah. Should I, I say know. which no, one it was? No, you don't. I'm not I, going to. I got so upset, and I called the waitress because I, we had ordered each I'm a salad a and a this tea, and it was yeah. just like I was like, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand. It's four fifty for a tea. She goes, Yeah. Kosher like, and Jewy. That's the thing. <laughs> I was very upset. And yeah. I called in and I went all the way to the manager because I did not want to pay it. Not, not because of the money, but because of the principal, because mm-hmm. they didn't even refill my water and it wasn't even good tea. It's like, right. this is not even two cents. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no labor into making it. And I told them it's a cute little hashem. all day today. I wasn't going to end by being shafted. I know. I ended no. on the strong mo- to try to get a did refund. Call? I called. <laughs> I called. Because they didn't bring us pita bread for our pre-podcast dinner. <laughs> it was fucked up. And you know what? I'm but better for did. it because I'm not bloated and I'm not burpy on this pod and that's nice and it was guilt free. But I was like, this is small. Portions and very expensive prices, and I called him. I yeah. was like, I'm here. No, but, but I, I, <laughs> I, I, would, I didn't, and I wouldn't have, and I also mm-hmm. wouldn't do anything about it's anti-Semitism funny. on campus. Right. Like, that's no, but not that's my the thing we're talking temperament. about temperament. I, oh my god, I went to uh, a restaurant once. You're so not I, confrontational, like face I'm to not. face. You're not. No, no, no. And so I ordered a salad, and I eat dairy out, and mm-hmm. I guess I just didn't read right that it came with bacon bits. Mm-hmm. So they bring the salad, and I see it has bacon. Those are bits. the best mistakes to make. Though. <laughs> no, I, I didn't eat it. I just looked at it. Not on you. What? Is this instead? Uh, no, 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 no. And I, I smelled it. I smelled it as soon as they put it in front yeah. of me. And instead of being like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I can't eat bacon," or instead of ordering something, I straight up said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I restaurant. have a meeting." <laughs> no, I said, "Can I get this to go?" And then I wrapped it to go. I gave it to a person on the street, and then I yeah. went to another restaurant and got a different salad because I don't even know how to yeah, send yeah, a salad. Yeah, yeah. Back. I totally hear you. Context. <laughs> you can yeah. you can confront like the macro issues contextually and feel totally confident, but like face to face with a person, it's hard. It's hard. Well, I mean, you're, I don't have trouble face to person. face. I just have trouble face to face when it's about me, when it's about oh. other people. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I will. I will fight uh, for that's you. That's interesting. Right. I'm just saying it's like you. So the you, same gene doesn't others. Yeah. You won't, yeah. Like if a school doesn't let me take a test on a different day, I'll be like, oh, like the school didn't let me. But if someone's like, oh, hey, like I have my brother's wedding, I'm like, they're not letting me take the test on a different. Day. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll right, be there. Right, what can right. I do? I'll advocate for you. Right. And that's why I want to be a lawyer. And that's uh, the difference between activism and advocacy, which we can get to. So you filed a lawsuit against school. Do you have anything? Let's. Let's circle it back and Let's see if we can get to the thing. We're at the thing. We're at You're the thing. You're gathering materials for a lawsuit. No, no, yeah, this no. Is the thing. No, no, uh-huh. it gets crazier for everyone oh listening. God. Here's the crazy thing. So <laughs> She I, lit the school on fire. No. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, I call my mom and I'm like, Mom, I'm about to sue NYU. And she goes, Huh? And I go, Yeah. And she goes, What does that mean? I'm like, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to do it. And she goes, Okay, are you sure about this? I said, 100%. I file a lawsuit against NYU. I spend the whole is, summer. Is this yes. like a pro? Do you pay for this? Is no. this just like, it's pro bono? They did it for me. The, the lawyers were pro bono. Okay. Um, and I did not ask for any money at mm. all in my suit or in okay, my settlement. Okay. Right. The only thing I wanted was policy change. Mm. I wanted them to include anti-Semitism in their policies. So um, I went through with it, spent the whole summer making publicity. I spoke literally everywhere, wherever I can get. Got New York Times. I also got Fox. I did everything I could. Front page of the New York York Post op-ed section, which Mm -hmm. is really fun. How did you get that hustle of like getting on the attention of these yeah. organizations? What was the MO for that? So pretty much I um, was already working with a lot of the organizations while I was on campus. Mm-hmm. They, there's there, there were a ton of Jewish organizations that wanted to swoop in there. And usually when outside orgs swoop into a college campus, they make it worse for the students. Mm-hmm. And I was really like, I, I had them whipped. I was like, okay, here's <laughs> what we're actually going to do. I would have calls once every two weeks. And I would say, you only speak through these calls you do not take action unless I authorize it. And I was like, what was I, 21? <laughs> <laughs> and every organization was just like, okay, because it was, it was refreshing for them to hear from a student what the student actually needs. So by the time I actually decided to settle my suit, I told each organization what I needed from them and they all invited me to speak at their conferences. Mm-hmm. So everything worked out well. I, I had positioned myself like in the 
place where this this could work. Did you have like a mentor guiding you through it, or this was all self? Kind uh, of. I didn't have a yeah, like driven, motivated, managed. Or I had a couple of different mentors. I think all of them came from different places. I had some mm-hmm. people who were very like bootstrapped, like go, let's do it, let's do the school. And I had a lot of people who were like, hey, you know, we should think about this. And um, you know, the, the the same mentor who told me not to publish that letter, right. he was also a mentor of mine throughout all of this. And he, when I told him I was going to sue NYU. He basically told me I was setting off a nuclear bomb and walking away. He's like, you don't even know what you're doing to the school. You're about to graduate. Mm-hmm. You don't even know. Like, we have it so good here. We have a kosher cafeteria. We have a campus in Tel Aviv. The school's always going to support us. Who cares if some students burn some flag? And I was like, I, I care. Mm-hmm. I care. The students care because the issue isn't a policy issue. It's a, it's a conduct issue. Mm-hmm. Why is it that there is no statement made mm-hmm. when our flags burned on campus? Why is it that there's no actions taken against the two students that were arrested by NYPD for what they did to my community? Why is it that I can't do that to anyone else because I would never do that to anyone else? We got to sue somebody, Michael Fox. <laughs> I'm just saying. Ooh, I'll be your lawyer. And, yeah, and thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can advocate. Amazing. Right um, on the steps. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up because I know that we. Mike and Ami actually feel very. I like this. This is good. We'll talk later yeah. about that strategy um, for the for that play. But anyway, so it's it's all coming so together. It's all You're coming going together. Through with it. I'm yeah. going through with it. I'm speaking at every conference. And one day I look at my phone and I see restricted Washington, D.C. And I'm like, huh. And I pick up my phone and I go, hello. And they're like, hi, Adele. And I'm like, hi. And they're like, it's the White House. And I was like, huh. They're like, are you expecting your call? I was like, yes. I was not. <laughs> <laughs> What? Hello, and, Donnie. Um, yeah, and they tell me um, I was talking to one of the representatives from the White House. And he called they you say, Kojab for sure. There's no way he got the hug. No, no, no. Co- I actually, Kojab. Very I'll, good. A strong I'll, jab. I said, I said it's an H. I yeah, literally said just ahead. put it as an H. So he said it right. You can uh, watch yeah, the video. Okay. I'm proud of my guy. Yeah, proud yeah. of my dude. He's not my dude. Yeah. But um, bottom line, they said the president, Donald Trump at the time, right. had heard about my lawsuit and it would be his honor if uh, I would speak about it on stage with him. The at president the at the time? At the time. He is no longer the <laughs> is that controversial just, just to make, say? No, I'm just making sure. Well, no, Michael, the current president the and president sense. always. Wait, but it's controversial on both ends because people on the left that deny his presidency was yeah. legitimate, oh, yeah, he true. wouldn't be the president true, at the time. True. And then right we now, we all agree at the time he was. Look at the that! I said a controversial statement. That's time makes everyone angry. now, forever and always, Don Don, your president, Coach Ed, fantastic Coach, great job. Really, he like this was just prompted. What from? From they did their research and were like, this is a good person to speak um, at. At, I, at what was it? IAC. 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 Yeah, so pretty much I Which I, is, I, for the folks who don't follow any of this stuff, Israeli-American committee. Right. That Having Trump an event, a conference, at. he was speaking and wanted to bring you in for yeah. giving this. To be lawsuit. fair, I was already speaking on a panel at that same event. Right. So there was some um, connective tissue to it. Yeah, there was some connective tissue. I, I'd already been in touch with you know other organizations that work with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but bottom line, I, I agree, and I thought about it for a while. And mm-hmm. I, this is everyone says like, how did you end up on stage with him? Why did you end up on stage with him? Why did you agree? Um, number one, I told his staff on the phone. I said, I'm not a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. I'm not a green card holder. I've been here for 22 years. Perfect. Perfect. It's going to play so well. Yeah. <laughs> they said, we're aware. And yeah. I said, I don't give any pre-written speeches. Mm-hmm. They said, great, just keep it under two minutes and run us through what you're going to say. And that was pretty much it. I was like, okay. And then I started thinking about it. Do I want to do this? Right. And then I started thinking, okay, if the president of Mexico, who I do not respect, who I don't think is a strong leader, who I think is responsible for sorrow and death and suffering um, and has put the Mexican people back by a lot, by by being a thief and a liar, and it doesn't even matter. But if he called me tomorrow and he said, anti-Semitism is an issue, can you come speak about it on stage with me? I would take that platform. And you're saying the conflicts 
in you resided in like Trump's statements about being slop, speaking very inartfully and sloppily about immigration and Mexicans in general and that kind of thing. Is that what was pulling at you? Or was it just that Trump is a very divisive figure or, and to be in that association, like what is pulling at you? Or you didn't want yeah. the image of you on stage with him just to be out there. Yeah, that's, you know what it was? I, I was afraid. can go both ways on Trump. I mean, in some ways. On, you can go both ways. Well, yeah. it did go both ways. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it was more like the idea of is speaking on stage with him endorsement. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily about any individual policy, but to the naked eye, being mm-hmm. on stage with President Trump is an endorsement. Yeah. And that's what I was worried about. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized how crazy that is. Because you know where you stand and anybody with a mature stand. enough mind can say, listen, they're on the same stage. Yeah. There's a singular issue that she's there for. Mm-hmm. It's the office of the presidency too. And whether or not yeah. Trump respects it as much as he should or whoever, yeah. you respect it. You maintain your respect for it. The platform is there to vote, to add a lot of it, to amplify this issue. Yeah. It's easier yeah. to say that in 2023 than it was. Yeah, in, the, there was know, a time. time. It was time. like pretty red hot. And this is 20. It's easier to say, no, I like Trump. Like for someone to say anything about Trump yeah, fondly yeah, yeah. now, yeah. then there was a time... I lived in LA, you know, and yeah. people would be like, he's worse than Hitler. You'd be like, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. And you could be like, like you bet you were forced to, in a way back in the day, you were forced to defend Trump when you weren't a supporter. Of you Trump. weren't a supporter. Yeah. Just, but you just have to be like, like bring things he's center. not a pedophile. I, yeah. No, he's a pedophile. Okay. <laughs> he's many things. He's not a pedophile. Yeah. You know, even like the white nationalist claims about Trump, the things that they would say, like, was very like crying wolf. Like there were for many, many things to criticize Trump about. We've talked mm-hmm. about it a little bit, yeah. but it's like if you go crazy and say things that he isn't, then you're putting people in a position to sort of defend him by seeing things a little more objectively mm-hmm. when they they aren't when they otherwise could be detractors. That, that was the big problem during his presidency. Like it was yeah. so extreme and binary, and like yeah. you know, this is your choice. Like either he's the worst person in the world or the best person in the world. Either you're a Trumpkin or you're anti-Trump or a never Trumper. You know, right. and it was like there was no in between because. You know, you were uh, you were just like measured on how much. How, you know. how if you're leaning, you're all yeah. the way. Yeah. And, and for me, as an outsider, right, I can't vote. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a very interesting for me to see the way that American politics has worked out over the last ten years, mm-hmm. right? From when I started college, which was the 2016 election, right? I came into fall 2015 mm-hmm. to now. It's just it's a different it's a different America because of the way that people interact with each other. And weirdly enough, like you said. Now it's kind of getting back to a, a sense of normalcy. And I think it's mm-hmm. because Trump was out of the stage. But now he's about to hop back into the stage and, and we'll see how that goes. But I, I, yeah. I'm not going to turn this into political commentary right now. But bottom line, I, I do end up on stage with President Trump. I do end up speaking about my lawsuit. I do keep it. A beautiful under two lawsuit. Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've seen them all. I can, I can. And then three uh-huh. days later, I get a call from the White House that he was going to sign an executive order effective immediately that day to include Judaism under Title VI of the Civil Rights uh, Act. Wow. Um, now I'll explain what the actual... Um, yeah, how's your libertarian yeah, that's, that's self feel about that? Because <laughs> so I, I get, I I get asked by my left-leaning feelings. friends, hey, Amy, you're a libertarian. You think they should ban hate speech on campus? I'm like, I guess okay. not. So I... In oh, principle. Ooh. Well, first see? off, for, for everyone listening, we got to the thing, right? Yeah. I ended up meeting Donald Trump. I changed law on a national level. What did the executive order actually do? It didn't expand Title VI, which is how it was presented to me it was going to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. It actually extended the definition of Judaism. So instead That's of... That's what the executive order did? Yes. Well, maybe executive orders shouldn't be able to do 
law. Yeah, you know? I agree. Right. Instead, it extended the definition of Judaism to mm-hmm. be an ethno-religion, so now it falls under ethnicity, under Title VI, right. among other things. Now, w- where, where yeah. did it change the definition? Um, it was just the executive order on anti-Semitism, and pretty much it said that anti-Semitism functions in a way of blah, 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 and Judaism uh-huh. is an ethno-religion. It functions as a peoplehood. It has certain characteristics uh-huh. that make us into a nationhood. A lot of people said that this is a first steps in eugenics, right? Because mm-hmm. now you're saying that Jewish people are a people, right? This is Jews why it's are such a, race, a dangerous it game. A whole thing. Mm-hmm. Also, to have anything done at the executive level at this micro level of mm-hmm. policy. Yeah, that's what I, what's yeah. weird is like it becomes now so ever expansive yeah. for, that these are beyond the enumerated executive functions. And uh-huh. then the next president who comes in with yeah. a different set of ideas Can says, do the same thing. I decide or that Israel is, is racist as an executive order. Well, this is not how we want to do things. Mm-hmm. But I understand right. that when you're getting pummeled, like any ally, any, any help is good in the moment, in the fight. But you always have to be careful about like the principle of doing things. And I'm curious, given your libertarian leanings, yeah. Um, which I agree with. Uh, well, so, so how do you feel? How do you feel? So this is where it's going to get very controversial, especially considering what I do now full time. Title six, you I broke code one. <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't believe I, title six should really exist, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very weird thing to say because I don't believe. And, and actually, my, my co-host and I for the podcast had an episode on freedom of speech uh, about Twitter, and yeah. and we completely disagreed. I said you could say whatever you want. She's like, do you want people to be praising Hitler? I said if they want to. I want to hear what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to go and make their own. She's like, well, can't they go and make their own platform? I'm like, sure, but I won't be on it, and I mm-hmm. won't hear what they're saying. So I, I, I'm very much a, a full freedom of Title speech Title VI is, is, the, is synonymous with the Civil, of the Civil Rights Act? Part of the Civil Rights Act. It's, it's like, you know how there's like Title IX mm-hmm. is for sex cases, right? Okay. So I don't. Oh, I didn't go okay. to law, law That's the sports, like women's college. Yeah, so we talked about the Civil Rights yeah. Act of 1964. Yeah. Yes. And within the Civil Rights Act. There's and, multiple and titles. there is the libertarian argument about it, which is the most... A hard argument to make, mm-hmm. you know, about like the Civil Rights Act in general. Did we like, you know, because at the time, you know, you had so much racism in the society that you did need you need it, it at the governmental level? And then that's the weeds that when you get yeah. into it with libertarian arguments, it's like you don't need to go here because it's such an agreeable point. But mm-hmm. there's an idea. There's a problem yeah. with free association, mm-hmm. like schools that say we are a Jewish school or we are a Catholic school. That's kind of violate. That's discriminatory. That's yeah, in a sense. But we accept that in our society by freedom of association and freedom of speech and freedom of expression is in, in its inherently discriminatory we associate with different things so it gets dicey um and you're saying this title 6 encompasses speci- specifically, specifically education yeah. uh it's for academic institutions for religion ethnicity and race so you're making the case that even though you had to pursue this because this is the game in the field that we're playing yeah. in and these are where the goalposts are you have to play that game because you're me, in it yeah for but me it was more you don't of, believe it it's necessary no right? i think if title 6 is going to exist you have to include everyone you can't pick and choose your minorities right. that's not how it works and that's how it should never work equal equal mm-hmm. uh Equality under the law. What's the equal? Yeah, equal opportunity. Equal. Or what's a, there's, a, there's a phrase that I'm blanking on now, but it's like equal. Repre- everybody's equal as far as the, the only equality that matters is equal representation under the law. Yeah. Right. So every single group, it applies to everybody. You. Yeah. But then, what would it? What would that look like? Nothing. It would evaporate. Yeah. So no. It's right. uh, so the thing is that there's a difference between behavior you consider hateful and right. behavior you consider bad and behavior you consider rude oh. and disgusting and discrimination and harassment. I would say violence. There's violence, the, there's yeah, your, violent There's action. your line. 
and, exactly. inc- and direct incitement to violence. Direct incitement to violence. And, and there's also a difference between like harassment and mm-hmm. just like someone being mean. If someone mm-hmm. gets up and like yells a racial slur, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And that person is a bad person. Mm-hmm. I don't like to associate with that person. Yeah. But they're technically allowed to say it. it's different than if they follow you and they call you a racial slur over and over and over again. That's harassment. Right. The line has already been drawn, right, between bad acts and discrimination and harassment. Right. And this is something that we've been applying. Title VI has existed since the Civil Rights right. Act, and it's applied to all different groups. So I, I don't think that if you apply it to everyone, then you apply it to no one. No, I think that you just apply the standard equally across the board. Right. You can't discriminate and harass. Mm. I, I don't think that should be so hard to understand if it already exists. Again, should it exist? And that's where, again, the libertarian in me is, is very weird because yeah. I, I agree. I, I think it's... And discriminate's a weird word. Should you hire who you want to hire, even if your reasons are awful? Like, even mm-hmm. if you're not... A, do you have the right to, like, not be a good person if you're not hurting directly somebody else? Yeah. It's sort of what it comes down to. Yeah. And can you change... Can you change people... Can you change people via policy and fiat? I don't think you really can do that. Like, can you eliminate the racism from a person by passing a law saying you can't be racist anymore? I don't think so. I think it, I think it comes about organically in a society and the law yeah. reflects that. Well, I, I don't think you impose via law to change people's, you know, uh, like moral failings. I think you have to t- zoom out. I think that the, this change happens generationally. So mm-hmm. I think that if you have a law... That so, for example, the easiest example, gay marriage, mm-hmm. right? If you told someone from ten generations, it's from one full generation ago, someone from twenty years ago, because mm-hmm. I consider generations about decades ish. Yeah. Yeah, sure. um, if you told them, you know, gay marriage, that would be a contested topic. Mm-hmm. If you tried to talk to anyone today who was about fifteen to twenty years old, and you say, "Hey, gay marriage," they'll be like, "Duh," right? Right. It doesn't mean I have to do it. Doesn't mean anyone else should. But legal, yeah, sure. Right, because it's a it's a law thing, but it's something that just becomes accepted as it goes on. So I think in the moment, no, you're not going to change anyone. But the people who are growing up learning it are just are you know living in a different society. So I think it's and what a, did libertarians want to do? Get rid of marriage entirely on the government level? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I mean, because that was like let everyone get into a contract with anyone. No, ma- like the government shouldn't be in the business of encouraging one behavior or another yeah. because it shouldn't be the arbiter of that. Someone. The yeah. argument is let anyone get into a contract of any kind for mm-hmm. any reason. And marriage is otherwise a religious or even mm-hmm. a secularized version, but not on a governmental level. That's why the second you use government as anything, you know, the powers mm-hmm. that be can just change it and you're just imposing your will I on agree. other people. And, and this is why, so. like, I, not to make this a libertarian <laughs> talking point, but when yeah. people are like, you know, like, like, let's increase taxes for larger social mm-hmm. welfare pro- programs. I said, okay, that sounds mm-hmm. wonderful if it's going to social welfare programs. Mm-hmm. But one day you'll get another Trump in office and he's like, you know what, all those social welfare pro- pro- programs that we have, we're going to keep the same taxes we're not going to raise them, mm. but we're going to use all that money and we're going to build the wall mm. because we have that money, mm. right? And it's like you never want whoever's in power to have more power because you never know who's going to be in power next. Mm. And that's why I take the Ottoman Aleppo approach, which is the government provides infrastructure, protection from foreign army. Yeah. That's pretty much it. No, in the U.S., I think that there should be education, K-12, through and I can get it all into like my specific libertarian, what I think that should exist Music in a modern society, but I think that... Well, <laughs> this, is an interest, this is really interesting to me because it kind of goes towards my Zionism question before, mm. which is like... I'm I'm gonna like triple over myself a thousand times while I ask this, but I'm going but I'm gonna ask try. It and don't hold back. And you're being vulnerable, and that's very important. like like <laughs> you're you're like yeah, I'm a libertarian, but at the end of the day, if it protects my family and my community and everything, 
Whatever. Sure. Why not? Let's, let's go for it. I feel like that whatever muscle in your brain goes in that direction is the same muscle that when we talk about Israel, it kind of, it kind of puts a lot of walls up with like, like, yes, do I wish the Palestinians lived better? Sure. This, the settlements, this and that. But at the end of the day, it, Israel's got to be Jewish. It's got to be controlled by Jews. And even though I don't really believe humanitarily, whatever, it, it's whatever. It's just kind of how it has to be. Like, I'll take it. That, that's kind of how I feel. Should I ask so him to leave? Do you know what? Does that does that make any I sense? Think, I think that modern day yeah. Jews place themselves in a corner when mm. they use human rights as their argument. Mm-hmm. And and this is going to sound terrible, and it's going to sound blunt, and this might be the most controversial thing I say ever on a hot mic. Woo! Woo! <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's one of those things that, no offense, but war is not something that's simple, and it's not something that's always fair. Mm-hmm. So when I look at Israel, you know, usually I have a lot of different ways I approach the conversation, but bottom line, if I want to get to what I, I actually believe, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like I was saying before, a, a country is created via treaty or via war. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a losing party. Israel had a treaty. The treaty was not accepted by the other side. Then there was a war, which was a defensive war. And then there was another war, and then there was another war. And Israel still exists. So it's one of those things where you say, Israel got the cake. And there's winners and there's losers, and Israel should mitigate the loss. But to what extent? So, like, for example, look at Gaza. Once Israel had the whole cake. They had the whole cake. They had no reason to give up parts of the cake. And they said, you know what? We're going to give you a piece of the cake. We're going to see what you do with the cake. And then we saw what happened with the cake. probably pita, not cake. But we I saw what happened with the cake. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, 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 and at that point, then why does Israel have any other incentive to get rid of any other parts of the cake? And mm-hmm. when you look at, for example, the Golan Heights, they were annexed immediately. And no one questions it. No one says, you never hear people saying, and Israel should pull out of the Golan Heights. It was also occupied territory. But it was right. annexed immediately, so no one questions it. The issue why the West Bank is being questioned mm-hmm. constantly is because Israel allowed it to be so. 100%. And it's not a they should or shouldn't. Strategic but strategic era of the 60s. It's, it's leaving things with. in the gray that made well, things... And once we're black, black and white, and like this is the... And now once you know. you're in the gray, that's where you have to use human rights. That's why I hate it when people say, well, which is true, Israel is the most, um, like I hate to say it this way, Israel is the most humane occupying power. Mm-hmm. But Israel could have not been an occupying power by just annexing. I'm going to dispute again, that too, and I'm also going to preach to the choir. Sure, Occupying, I don't like the yeah. word. I hate that word. I because it, it's, it's a misnomer. It's Would a you misnomer. have a pre-existing sovereign nation occupied by another... That's America into Iraq going into a country that pre-exists as a sovereign country. But there's a lot of misunderstandings about the nature of what – just because it mm-hmm. had the word Palestine, was there a, was there a sovereign government and country in Palestine that was illegally occupied by then? People have that narrative. I so know. So the anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism thing, just to, just to frame this part of the conversation because this is a big one. Mm-hmm. You know, I have – like I have sympathy now more than I used to for – for the default position of the anti-Zionist who claims they're not anti-Semitic. Because while I would agree conceptually that if you examine it, you will be brought to that conclusion that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism for all the reasons we can elaborate on. Mm, um, The conclusion is, is there. And I think convincing to those people, they're like, Oh no, no. Like I don't hate Jewish people. I have Jewish friends. I have Jewish this. I'm against whatever this narrative is that I am buying Mm -hmm. into. My question, really, that I think we should that, that I'd want to discuss with you, and well, who am I talking to? 
<laughs> um, no, but the question is like we can convince each other all day long mm -hmm. of these arguments and agree and find them very agreeable. We've kind of been raised on them mm -hmm. and and educated on them, so to speak. But I think you still find, given the comment section on this episode, like the narrative, that narrative, and I don't even like calling a, a narrative. There's like, I mean, it, it, things are complex, but it's losing. The, the, the pro-Israel narrative or the case for Israel is losing yeah. in what seems to be the younger generation, the public discourse, the default position, free Palestine in Bella Hadid's posts in the culture. It just seems to be internalized among the people who already support Israel and reinforced among us who already support Israel and understand yeah. how to and feel morally very um, you know comfortable defending Israel. Israel is at war. People don't think of it like that. It's a country mm -hmm. at war, perpetually at war. Its existence is constantly threatened. They don't think of it in those terms. So, of course, you're going to say, I'm, I'm anti-Zionist. I'm anti-some country. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Eddie Vedder shouting on stage, stop bombing people and blowing them up. This is, that that mm -hmm. narrative is winning the day. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like, the conversations we have amongst each other and patting ourselves on the back, is that productive, constructive? Is it is it effective? So yes and no. I think um, there's there's two steps that you take for Israel activism. Mm -hmm. You have to look in and you have to look out. The reason why I do think it's productive is because we do have to look in. When I mm -hmm. first got to college, if you ask me why I supported Israel, I can give you an answer. Mm -hmm. And most kids can't. Mm -hmm. And that's why I do a lot of speaking in high schools and middle schools because people should have an answer. And they should chronically – they should always examine that answer. They should try to come to different conclusions. Mm -hmm. And they should challenge themselves. I challenged myself. I had a hater phase. Everyone mm -hmm. has a hater phase. Right. You do what you got to do. Um, <laughs> but then you have to look out. And you're talking about the narrative that's being lost, right? The, right? the losing narrative because when we're looking out, we're losing. And and the reason why is because the mm -hmm. winning narrative is not going to be the palatable narrative. Because if you frame every single country the same exact way – it's also going to lose it. So I, the U.S., the U.S. was a colonialist nation. Mm. The U.S. massacred natives. In a perfect world, the U.S. would go back to where it came from, U.K., because we know where they came from, mm -hmm. and give the land back to the people who were there before. Mm. Alas, those people before like massacred the people who were before them? Yes, yeah. if you ask Dinesh D'Souza. Yeah, but that, that, that doesn't even matter. <laughs> the, the, the thing is We that, were in a conquering society. That is what we did. That's what we did. Yeah. Yeah, that's Dinesh D'Souza. No, but it's he just, sounds like Kumail Nanjiani. <laughs> um, it's just every single country, if you scrutinize Conquest, founding, that was the way that, of the it world. It was conquest, that was the way of the world. Again, it was treaty or war. But treaty I, or I, war, I wanna, treaty I think or it's war. A, it's a very crucial distinction when it comes to Israel to point out. You did say in a war there are winners and losers, but... In a war of aggression, there are people who are moral, there are the defenders and the aggressors. And it all comes down to that because war is bloody and awful and is a reality in this world. But the morality of war lies in who is the aggressor and who is the mm. defender. And the pro-Israel argument, the case defending Israel is taken from the position that Israel is defending itself. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the story is started in the middle. If you walked into a situation and you I saw some guy shooting another guy on the street and and you started from the middle and you're like, oh my God, he just killed that guy who was just standing there. Well, no, no, no. You didn't see that that guy, you know, you didn't see the context of he what that guy was doing to threaten mm -hmm. this guy and his family or whatever it might be. You're starting the story in the middle and that's where the narrative of the, uh, the case against Israel starts right in the middle. Oh my God, there's just a wall blocking people up mm -hmm. for no apparent reason. Israel's just doing mm -hmm. this for fun. There's no security. Like they're just doing this and they're the powerful, successful country. So let's, let's go with they're the bad guys. I think that falls into the same anti-colonialist, anti-Western narrative. But we all know, like, we all agree on this stuff. Yeah. The question is, why doesn't that translate? And this idea of 
Israel as the, the country that's defending itself against hostile neighbors and aggression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the other and the and when it gets attacked, that's th- those are the people who don't want peace with Israel, or at mm-hmm. least the, the people representing those people who are attacking Israel mm-hmm. ex- have expressed expressed that they do not want peace with Israel. They want to destroy every last Jew in Israel. So that seems so obvious to me because we've been. We've been raised on these, we, we've been educated on these arguments, and then you pull, and then you give yourself a minute, and we said, you know, you want to try to hear the other side, and then you hear of an attack in Israel, and you pull mm-hmm. it back, and you then you zoom out again, right. you're like, nah, forget it. I can't right, right, it. and then I go right back to that place of like, all right, you know, but that's a, like, but, it's, but you, it's, my, it's my family, so do whatever needs to be But you make done. it seem like it's just like, listen, I, I go with my tribe no matter what, Not an, and I still think it's, you happen to be that the tribe that you're identifying with is... It has yeah. a higher moral position. I mean, I, I, think I, don't, that, I do yeah, think that. Okay. But if I could just like bring it back to to the point I made before was right. There's a law of human rights, and mm-hmm. when you look at Israel with the law of human rights, Israel's mm-hmm. always going to lose because Israel's in the position of power. That's mm-hmm. just how it's going to be. There is no perfect solution. Mm-hmm. What I do when I talk to college kids, when I talk to anti-Israel activists, when yeah. I have any sort of deba- debate, anything, when I talk to someone who's questioning, I say, "Okay, I am the world. I give you the keys. You now have the keys to the world." You can make any deal you possibly want. Give me the solution. Mm-hmm. And you just walk them through this thought experiment. And every single time they come up with something, you again show them the wall that's been blocking. It's like, oh, well, obviously, like there's going to be a two-state solution. It's like, okay, great. You think that either side will honor a two-state solution. Usually be like, well, I don't know, whatever. Then they'll say, well, you know, the Jews should go back to where they came from. It's like, okay, where are they going? You tell me. And then when they say, even if they do say Germany or this, whatever, you say, okay, great. What about the person living in their house right now? Because they had houses, mm-hmm. right? So it's, you, you have to just go through each thing and show them how complicated it is. So if I can go back, like I said, when you look at it through the law of human rights, yes, Israel is quote-unquote violating it. The difference is, like you said, as soon as Israel was attacked in mm-hmm. a war that was defensive, it was no longer the law of human rights that governs. It's the law of war. Mm-hmm. And what people don't notice is that the law of war has been carried on perpetually up until this point, 77 right. years in or 75 years in, because that's just where it is. So this is something I said to Ami, and I haven't actually heard this anywhere. I think I might have I might have come up uh, with it on my own. Um, mm-hmm. But but I mean, it's it's kind of the same way I think about America. I mean, I'm I'm curious how you respond to that. Where the narrative that we all grew up with and we all tell ourselves is 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 we are at war and like and and this is a dangerous population, and and certain measures need to be taken for our own safety. The question I have is like, is that a narrative that's set forth by people in power who are benefiting from this constant war? We like we, we're all comfortable saying American politicians uh, benefit from endless war in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and and now in Ukraine and, and like wherever next is like mm-hmm. war is beneficial for people mm-hmm. in power and for you know the industrial military industrial complex mm-hmm. is the same thing happening in Israel where told you it, Marxist, it, yeah. it is a little bit beneficial to have this conflict going on on both sides the people in power for the Palestinians and the people in power for the Israelis it's beneficial to have this thing going on and 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 I imagine someone who's anti-Israel would say um, well yeah if if they just stopped this narrative mm-hmm. of of perpetual war it, their threat it actually wouldn't be as bad for the Palestinians as, as they think it would is that is that anything you've heard before and so, like how yes, would you respond to that? That's what I hear, but yeah. if I could put my feminist cap on, that's uh-huh. victim blaming. Um and but the, again it's it's weird here because there's no clear cut victim because it depends when you start the story. Mm. The 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 way the way I really mm. see it is that Israel backed itself into a corner by leaving the gray. And it's always going to be in a corner when you leave the gray. Again, mm-hmm. if you took the keys, and I want I want everyone who's listening right now, and both of you guys, literally sit people. down, <laughs> take, yeah, mm-hmm. 500 people. Yeah. Those are great people. Sit mm-hmm. down and tell yourself, I have the keys, and craft a solution. Craft a solution. 
A, so it doesn't it doesn't have to be the best, doesn't have to be the worst. It could have some loss, some gain. The the one I've reached, and I'll just share it and preface this by I have never lived in Israel. I've never served in the Israeli army. I don't have any family that lives in Israel. I don't have any family that has served in the Israeli army. I have no stake in the country itself. And that's mm-hmm. why I have no right to tell them what they need for their security. So I always take that step back and I make the caveat. Mm-hmm. But the only solution I could possibly reach is a one state called Israel or Palestine, however you want to call it, that does have a constitution because to this day, Israel does not have a constitution. In the constitution, Judaism is protected under law and the practice of Judaism is protected under law, but it's not inherently a Jewish state and there's no right of return for Jews or for Palestinians. Mm -hmm. That's the only solution I've been Mm -hmm. able to reach. It's one that no one will ever agree to. Well, you're trying to create United States and Israel. Essentially, yes and no. That's not tied to any kind of ethno-national... Exactly, thing. and it, well, but the yes problem no, is they would, would kill. But, but, but I don't want that either. I, I want, want it to be a Jewish either. state. I know, you know? So. and that's but, the thing yeah. that people have wants. But it, and guess what? They don't want a Jewish state. Does is that bad against us? Right? Because as soon as like they get their non-Jewish state, then we say, well, that's discriminatory against us. The issue I, is that people have wants. They don't want a Jewish state. We do want a Jewish state, and people will always want wants. Yeah. So the competing interest is there, but I mem- mm. I think we also are, are take for granted like having been Americanized that. Yeah. You know, America is unique in the world that it doesn't have a cultural or ethno like center that defines it. It's defined by its melting pot characteristics, and that there's not one unifying thing. But, but there are saying, many, yeah. many countries in the world that are, you know, Japan wants to maintain a, a certain uh, mm-hmm. Japanese, whatever you call it, that that uh, a Japanese state, Chinese. There's all these countries that no one cares to criticize for those reasons. And one can make the moral argument that as far as Jews go and given our history, and I heard Sam Harris talk about this once, his his moral defense of Israel, where he was like, if there's one group in the world that I could think of that might need a state, it's certainly the Jews, given the violent, bloody history of being victimized and actually marginalized throughout history, having a small sliver of land and of self-determination that can protect us uh, and for for our own self-determination is justified morally. And countries develop um, with different aims and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, you know, I get it. It's sort of like we're taking our American lens and imposing on Israel. It should just be a free, secular society mm-hmm. that protects the rights of all, min- all uh, minorities. However, if the populations do not support those values, then, then every never, Jew dies yeah. the second you do that. I know. <laughs> and I we know, know that. It's expressly the case that, that, that that's what happens. You, you These values come organically over time, but they, they don't come... Dude, I'm a Syrian Jew. You yeah, don't yeah. have to tell me. My family so had just, to leave Syria and Lebanon. That's why. Ideally, there would yeah. be no countries at all. There'd be no evil in the world. And everyone, no We'd live in an anarchist world where everyone just respects everyone's individual rights. We wouldn't mm-hmm. even need the laws. But I just... You know, and then in, in, the, in the context of reality, in mm-hmm. Israel itself, it's a unique situation where there are all of these um, ideologies and religious motivations and... The, deep, dark anti-Semitism and hatred yeah. for Jews having their own state and their own country and existing at all. Yeah. Um, and all the surrounding Arab neighborhoods that kicked, expelled all the Jews out. And I just think it's, I think at the end of the day, um, the way I see it is that I think to the extent that Israel compromises on the security of its own citizens for the sake of some grand notion, vision, ideal of peace, it always loses in the long run. And to the extent that it doesn't compromise and it doubles down on defending itself, it wins and it thrives and it survives to the benefit of every, of, of not just Israelis there. But I mean, that's an easy thing for me to say. Yeah. And I don't talk to a lot of people from the other side or even native Palestinians who are 
living there, going through the hardships of a situation that I don't think Israel is accountable for, mm-hmm. but they're still living with it. And I'm, of course, absorbing this hatred towards Israel if they mm-hmm. believe that that's the reason for it. And it's very easy to say, well, Israel's not accountable for it because Hamas is the one causing the aggression. But I still think that's the truth. Like you said, that's the reality of war and that's what's going on. So we yeah. can say it's, it's not convenient, it doesn't resonate and all of that. Should we just, do we even bother trying to change that? Like, I guess that's my question because it doesn't seem to change. It seems like the, the average person is like, yeah, it just seems crazy what Israel's doing. Yeah. You know? And that, that's troubling and you see it in the comments too, but I don't know, maybe that's the stalemate. It's a stalemate. Again, it's a stalemate because if you keep trying to get everyone's approval, you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Again, you can't use human rights law to dictate what's happening in Israel because it's not a nation that's operating in a time of peace. It's mm-hmm. not. So you have to use the law of war and no one wants to accept the law of war. But unfortunately, that's just it's just how the world works. And of course, that's that's not what I tell middle schoolers when I speak to them. Um it's not where I tell high schoolers when I speak to them. I never give them the, you know, it's a, you know, you lose, you lose situation, like mm-hmm. tough luck. Like you'll never say that to, to a kid who's trying to make sense of this whole situation. But I do think that it's valuable to put people into thought experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, and the yeah, fact I mean, that Israel being at war, I think, is very crystallizing. It's like, that's what's going yeah. on, guys. Yeah. Of course there's horrible things happening, but it's at war defending it's itself war. and its survival existentially. Yeah. So The, the, re- yeah. the reason that narrative is losing is because it's a lot more complicated than... David versus Goliath and like mm-hmm. there's a there's a dangerous state with all the power you know uh, massacring people without any power yeah. it's a lot easier to it's to, funny to though but I don't think I think Israel is David not Goliath no well no I, if, I, you, I, if you delve I know, deep I know, but, you realize but, but, but you have to that's what I'm saying you have to delve deep for that I, exactly. it's, a, it's, more. it's more complicated yeah. and it requires more understanding of the Malcolm context of history Gladwell. yeah yes <laughs> to understand that it's uh, that it's that's the opposite yeah. or whatever. But then I ask myself, is it? Who am I talking to? You know, you got to get out of your chambers a little bit and your confirmation. Yeah. But then I do. And I'm like, yeah, no, I never really. Yeah. I listen for it. I'm like. So hard. Mm. It's so hard. Hey, look, I get in and out of it. I actually, I have a, a couple of friends who are Palestinian. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken to them a, a ton of times. One of them is, you know, closer to my age. He's like maybe like mid thirties and mm-hmm. the, the other one's older. He's like closer to mid forties. Yeah. And, um, both times I, I end up, it, it's just, it's funny because like we have a, a great friendship and then whenever something happens, whenever there's a flare up, mm. I check to see their Instagram stories right. because I, I want to see what they see and I want to, to hear what they hear. And, and you'll always, every different side, like everyone does have truth, right? Mm. Everyone's headline is true to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone's headline is true to them. The, and it shouldn't be a war to get your headline out there. It should be understanding both headlines and seeing okay, how did this come to be? So that's what right? I was trying to get to. Like, what did you learn from this Frontyverse? Or have you learned, like, the perspective gained right. based on all the activism you've done on the side of defending Israel? What window did that provide for you, like, talking to this friend? Um, for me, it's taught me not to be hardline, which uh-huh. is very weird for me. I don't know if you could tell I'm a person of absolutes. Right. I love absolutes. <laughs> love that. Um, but no... Um, when I sat down with him, he, he had found me on Instagram, this one specific friend. Again, I have a couple of Palestinian friends, but this mm-hmm. one had found me on Instagram and, um, you know, messaged me back and forth. And then was like, I want to sit down with you over lunch. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is a little bit sketchy. I'm mm. not sure if this is safe, but it's a public place. I don't know. So I showed up and at first we just had a very normal conversation. We spoke about my background and, you know, I'm Syrian Lebanese and he's Palestinian. And we talked about Arab culture and we left and we like. This is the $4 tea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. Um, And like, yeah, I don't know, we like bonded over food and cultural things and everything was great. And then like about halfway through, I was like, look, no offense, but why am I here? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? And he said, mm. well, first off, I want to get to know you and what drives you. Second, I want you to get to know me and what drives me. And third, 
I want you to remember this conversation. That is very threatening. <laughs> no, not in a threatening way. Oh my God. He said, and then, and then he, he, see, the thing is that he understood me. So he played to my ego and he said, uh-huh. because when you grow up to be someone and you already are someone, but when you get to where you are, when you uh-huh. get to your end spot, I want you to remember this conversation that you had it with me. Is this somebody older? Is he older? And he's like older. The, okay, I'm just curious. He's older and he's been in the game. And and his whole idea is... And is he an um, activist? A Palestinian activist? Not or? exactly. Yeah. He's he's relatively active, but he's not an activist. Right. Um, and he's someone who, who said, again, when, when you become someone, when you end up in policy or in law, or whatever it is that you end up doing, don't forget me and my people. Love and don't that. forget that you can sit down and have lunch with me. And that's something I wish more people could do. What a beautiful thing to do. It's yeah. great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So um, again, we we obviously will disagree a lot about a lot of things, mm-hmm. and we've had those conversations. We've had them um, over wine, so we'll be able to say, you know, mm-hmm. some things that we might might not say in another way. But um, what I've learned from all these conversations, what I've learned literally with conversations from my Palestinian Instagram friend mm-hmm. um, that became a real life friend, is that people are real people and. Real people will see their headline as true. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do is talk to them so you can reach an in-between. Now, I'm, I'm in a weird place where, like I said, I, I don't have a, a personal tie to Israel and that I never lived there and I don't have family currently there and I don't see ever having a career in Israel, so I can never change Israel's policy. But I am a member of the diaspora and I do plan to, to keep growing in this country that's so graciously hosted me without a green card. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> this country is so nice. Um, JK, we'll give me a green, a green We're card. Get you on. Thank you. It's on, yeah, it's on my list of things to do. We sponsor all our guests. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's, it's what, when I do, hopefully, if whatever it is I end up doing in life, if I end up working in, in a law firm or in government or in policy, I do want to remember that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I do want to think, well, how can I find a solution that makes sense? Um, and it's not about playing both sides and it's not, it, it's just remembering that there are people at the end of this. It's very easy for me to say like, look, losers lose and tough yeah, luck for you. Exactly. Going from your first point to this point is a really fascinating, interesting trajectory of like approach, thought, uh, attitude towards the whole thing. Because I, I kind of agree with both and there's something to that human, to human bypassing the political theater, the intellectual arguments, the moral defenses, yeah. all that stuff is kind of it's refreshing to have in your arsenal, in your mind of like understanding that when you're looking at things like mm-hmm. it's just, you know, you can, def- you, you can feel okay with it, even though it's a horrible situation. It's just like these human to human interactions. I'm, I'm intrigued with that. Like, mm-hmm. what does he think when he sees that? And what does he think about, uh, you know, what are his thoughts about this, about what would he like to see? You know, so, I'm just, that, 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 that intrigues yeah. me. And that's why yeah. I go back to like, like I want to get along with them, with mm-hmm. the average guy. The average guy probably wants to get along with me. It's like the people the who are who are yeah. leading it, who have a, who have an interest in anything other than that. Well, I would so just say that sounds too clean cut too. No, but th- this is exactly yeah, what probably, he said. Probably, he said, um, if you went to the village where I grew up and you told them, if you call yourself Israeli, like if you take the title of I am now an Arab Israeli, mm-hmm. you'll have water and energy for seven days a week. Would you take it? He's like, I'm telling you. 80% of them would. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're living a certain day to day. And it's not that Israel's depriving them of water or energy. It's that their leaders are depriving them of water and energy. Mm-hmm. And we all, we both understand, like, that's the thing. Like, it was, it was a kind of like a, a no BS conversation because we both understand the background. We both understand the way that both sides work. So it wasn't like we were debating talking points with each other because here, here's how it works. Mm-hmm. If anyone hasn't been in one of these debates before, there's a script. 
They have a script. We have a script. We know every single point they're going to bring in their script. They know every single point I'm going to bring in my script. And pretty much you go back and forth on the script, back and forth, back and forth. You go, you know, between Iron Dome and Two State Solution. Mm. And you go back and forth and back and forth and right return on the knock button, back and forth, mm-hmm. back and forth. And then at some point, someone forgets the next line in the script. And that's when they turn to personal experience. And that's how even though they win the general argument, you know you won and they know you won because they forgot the rest of the script. Mm. And it's a very weird dance to be in. Wow. When you take it personal, it's because you forgot the script and it's weird that forgetting the script is you both sides forget or the or the, uh, whoever the, forgot it, right. it's like if they if they brought up a certain talking point like uh, i forgot the name of the town now but there was like um yes, basically yes. The, uh, the real estate dispute yeah yeah sure in, in some, something. no no not shikshara but like uh. they'll bring up um during the israeli independence war before the israeli independence war there was like a rogue israeli yes, yes, um, yes. Sharon, with ariel sharon yeah with ariel sharon and like they'll, they'll bring that up and i i know the talking point i'm supposed to respond yeah. but if i forget it in the moment yeah then mm-hmm. I'm going to say something like, well, it doesn't matter what happened then because right now I have a cousin or blah, 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 whatever it is that, that the personal is or taking it back yes, to the general. Yes. Then you and lose that point. And they know, yes. They got you. They know they got me. So even though I might get the audience because now the audience is listening to a point about my personal experience, mm-hmm. so I win the sympathy, quote unquote, yeah. they know I forgot the script. Yeah. And I know I forgot the script. That's just and theater. It's, it's not dialogue. It's theater. You know? It's not dialogue. And that's what was so interesting about this because we both came in basically acknowledging, I know you're a script. You know my script. We mm. know each other's script, so let's talk no BS. Wow. And this was a no BS talk. And, and he said, look, like, end of the day, like, it's all of our leaders. And it's exactly what you said. He said, do you think, like, like when you say, like, you're not going to negotiate with Hamas, do you think we want to be talking to Likud? We don't want to be talking to Likud. You don't get to pick your adversary. Yeah, so, but the Likud doesn't have a charter that says we I want agree. to destroy every Palestinian again, behind a tree, behind I, a rock, and name streets after, name after streets. I, again, Israelis who go up and commit random... I agree, but... Know, so come on, dude. But... Sorry, your average, no, but, no, no, but, but your average Palestinian will tell you that Likud does say that, which is crazy because they don't. But right. again, it's like we, we've both um, turned but, the other into the terrorists. I get it, but it's like... The question lingering for all of us sort of, mm-hmm. you know, Israel, sim- Israeli supporters, sympathizers, like, if you guys want to stay, do it. What's stopping you from getting up there saying we acknowledge Israel's right to exist, mm-hmm. you know, coexist next to us right here. We are going to stay here yeah. in Gaza. We're going to build schools. All, the, all that argument that we've heard a million times, like, why not do that? Yeah. And in the West Bank, if you want to create businesses, schools, infrastructure, do that instead of investing in educating kids to hate Jews, you yeah. know, committing violent acts of terrorism against Israel. Why not do the other thing? Because if they did that, I don't think Israel would stop them. I know, and I think it's... it's and I want to ask him that, because I, 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 that's what I mean. Like, in, with yeah. us, we're, we are all of sort of fairly right, yeah. like-minded, but I still think it's a valid question, and I still don't have an answer to it. That's where we got. Like, we, we go in circles into the same place. And we're, if Israel we're, we're decided both, like, to We just... both don't know any Palestinians, oh, well, so what hey, are we doing? Yeah, I know a couple. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know if really they'd be willing to come on the show. They probably won't at all. But one here? of them, uh, yeah, here, one of them, he, well, he's, just have, he's not a public person. Right. I just want someone to ask me out to yeah. lunch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, great dude, great dude. Yeah. I, I'll make a, a connection for you guys afterwards just because um, I think like one of his things is like he does want to talk to more people like us because mm-hmm. he does want us to understand we all have these questions. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because I, I do want to have a career in policy and mm-hmm. I do think that that conversation in a way shaped me because it wasn't because it was genuine. Mm-hmm. There, there's no other way to say it. We had mm-hmm. a real conversation for the first time. It wasn't theater. It was behind yeah. that. It was like- It was behind that. And that, that doesn't mean that I, I suddenly don't believe Israel has a right to exist. I 100% believe Israel has a right to exist. I want Israel to exist as a Jewish state. I want it to exist the way that I know it. I want to be able to go with my family to a hotel to pray, to feel mm-hmm. that energy. I want that. Mm-hmm. 
that doesn't change the the fact that now I, I understand a little bit more of the other side. Um, and it, it's it's not me, you know, coming more That's, center. Yeah. It's just enlightening the idea, right? But I, again, and I, I used I to still, love the, I used to love the debate sport, mm-hmm. the theater. I like loved, I loved it. I watched. I lost I, yeah, I, I never watched, liked it. Right, no. He never, never liked, liked it, liked and I was it. like, oh, you. And I watched Dershowitz, and I would watch. That's what got me into politics initially. Mm-hmm. And before I like got into libertarian stuff, I was watching like Israel's my introduction into mm-hmm. just like debating ideas. And I would watch this stuff. I'd watch everything online. I'd watch all, all these like the Doha debates and all these kinds of things. I would. I was consuming all of that, and then more into politics and philosophy and all these kinds of ideas. But eventually, you start to say like. Like, yeah, am I like listening to any, like, am I trying to just like win on my point? And I'm just like, you're mm-hmm. kind of, you just, you start to echo chamber and wall off a little bit. And like, you're making the point like that you kind of understand to a limited extent because yeah. you're not allowing anything else in, even yeah. if you uh, might disagree at the end of the day. Yeah, because you know the script. You're not talking to the person yeah. or so, to the alternative idea. Like, even though I, I obviously still have the same conclusions, it's more about like what appeals to me now is more mm-hmm. conversation. You know, I think that's the influence of seeing Rogan have like everybody on. He has Bernie Sanders on and then he's got, mm. he's got, you know, all across the political spectrum, right wingers, left wingers, haters of Israel, lovers of Israel, like whatever it is. But he talks to them like people in every circumstance. And that, and that sort of, I think was a big influence for me. So it's, uh, Tim Dillon just had uh, on his Patreon episode, he was talking about, he's like, I had Abby Martin on mm-hmm. all the pro-Israel people gave me shit for weeks. Yeah. Then I had Barry Weiss on all the... <clears throat> Anti-Israel people gave me shit for weeks. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't know why I do it. I'm like an Irish guy, so like, <laughs> I don't I'm, know why I do it. Like, I don't care. I'm never doing that I don't again. Care. I don't care. Oh, but you, yeah. but like, you can't even then, have both sides of the conversation. Well, on but then he realizes your ego, ego so fragile that he can't have mm. Abby Martin on. He can talk to her. I mean, no, like, no, but, if no, we truly believe that just, we're on a good, like, we he, have a good he, point to make, he can have her on. He, like, he, he, he's just like, it's not worth the headache for me. Yeah, but the reactionary impulse that you're talking about is weird that we do that. We're literally a separate group. There was a meme that everyone loved to talk about at NYU which was like people you'll find at NYU. And it was like, um, you know, the engineering kids, like, you know, Korean exchange students wearing Canada Goose jackets. And then just at the bottom, it just says the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Because <laughs> we were like our own little cult following, right? right? And it's right. like, it's it's weird because, I, again, when I was there, it was weird because it, it did encompass a lot of student groups and it mm-hmm. went full intersectional and it was yeah. what everyone was talking about. But once you graduate and you step out of that echo chamber, you realize that the world isn't that. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, I had, like, a, a weird realization recently, like, literally within the last three weeks where I went to law school to become the defender of Jewish rights under the law. And now I'm just sitting there and I'm like, the world is so big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a very mm-hmm. small pigeonhole to keep myself in. And um, I'm in this weird crossroad where I'm not exactly sure if that's still what I want to do mm-hmm. long term, mm-hmm. which is weird because, again, I came to this realization maybe three weeks ago. Well, um, you got to defend Christians now. Oh, I mean, yeah, so. I <laughs> want to defend all religious yeah. minorities. Mm-hmm. We all have yeah. the right to practice. Right. Right. Well, I just well I'd love to hear when you figure that out. What I'll let you like, know. Because that's really we could fascinating. Do a follow-up I'll come episode. back. I'll, it feels I'll... like we're coming to the conclusion yeah, of the conversation. I, I do want to ask yeah. – well, I want to ask one question just before we conclude yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, just quickly, um, we mentioned Rudy oh. Rachman before yeah. the podcast. Mm-hmm. Who Could you throw out a couple of names of people who are doing it well, you think, right people now? People who are doing what well? Who are advocating for Israel – in a way that you appreciate or think is effective, useful, mm. and even if it's a different yeah, strategy. I, like, I would say Ben Shapiro, I don't think does it well. Okay. Like maybe he makes all the right points, but you leave it going like, he has bro, a script. like, yeah. or, or you just sound like an asshole. Like, you know, yeah. the, like, is there anyone who, who you're like, you don't like Ben's tone and temperament and you said, and just like, it feels unfeeling. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I think, I think Rudy does it well, but lately I've been, I've been kind of not feeling it as much. Mm. Like, is there anyone who you think? 
um, besides for yourself? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I, I think Rudy does a really good job at what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he he has a great mission. He has a great vision. And, and it's unique really in terms himself. of the conversation about it's Israel. It's unique in terms of the conversation. He has a listening ear that most people don't really have. And he's if you've ever met him in person, he is the greatest listener and he has the the most hmm. calm temperament he's a, he's a good I friend we've been friends since cousins. college i agree we're cousins we're cousins yeah, yeah. Uh, how could i disagree with him i, I, was, I agree I was, that's why i wear the sutra <laughs> I was, I was again, literally just like three I was arrested in Nigeria. It was a beautiful thing. I was a sutra. I have to get it better, but I hear you. You can do it. No, I, I think you're killing it. He, again, he's a really, really good friend. I admire him everything that he does. We have a, a couple of disagreements in, in mm-hmm. general. Um, he's a little bit more messianic than I am, mm-hmm. in that I believe in the diaspora. He does not believe in the diaspora. Uh, um, Michael's. He's. A, I, I think over but, the next few years, we're going to find out he's a weirder person than we think he is. I mean, again, that's I've my, known him for. Pers- I've known my, him for a while. And I know him I'm personally. Guessing. So yes and no, but um, I think in terms of effective, um, I don't know if you follow Blake Flayton. No. He is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. He is um, a student at GW. I think he actually just graduated. He is openly gay. He is phenomenally intelligent, articulate. Um, He is... He says what we all want to say and says it better. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to explain Blake it any other Flayton. way. And he's he's respectful, but he's also sassy. He's not afraid of a clapback because he knows the other side is not afraid of a clapback. Those clap are back. the best intellectuals are the ones who yeah. can make very complex ideas sound very simple and, very under, simple. and easy to understand. He is phenomenal. So I would say Blake Flayton is doing media? it really well. He's on yeah. social media. You can check him out. Um, yeah. And he's younger. It's funny because, like, if you look at like Israel and Jewish activism on campus, before we didn't have campus activists. You you, you couldn't name a single campus activist mm-hmm. on campus. Like, you, you couldn't. And then suddenly you have like you know me, Rudy. You have Justin Feldman. I don't know if you know him. He mm-hmm. was from UCLA. So you have like a couple of uh, you know names start popping up. They mm-hmm. start having us all on the same panels. And then you just kind of have this newer wave mm-hmm. of kids who are um, stronger, who are. Not more articulate, but they're hungrier in a way. And they're where more plugged in to like more plugged the Gen in. Z audiences in terms they, they of what they're They are the Gen hearing. Z audience. Yeah. So like Julia Jassy, do you follow Jewish on Campus? No. no. Okay, Jewish on Campus is a great account. It started off with lit- literally people would submit something that happened on their campus that was anti-Semitic. And this was just an Instagram account that would just post the screenshot. It got so much attention, so wow. much coverage. It was so real and so raw. Now mm. it's like a full running Instagram account. And it was founded by... Um, Julia Jassy, mm. Isaac DeCastro, Blake Slayton, and mm. they've become kind of this cool. new guard of campus activists. And mm. now you see people doing campus activism, which which takes me just to, to the last thing. There's a phenomenal thing happening among the youth. And I, it's weird to say that because I'm 26, but um, over the, the youth, last... The, the youth. youth. <laughs> Sorry, to youths. Yeah. To youths. Uh, my cousin Vinny reference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, great lawyer movie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Come on. Yeah. In the last two weeks, I've been contacted separately by multiple young girls mm-hmm. who are pretty much me except 16. Right. Not me at 16. They're me, but 16, right. who are like hungry to do this. And they literally sat me down and said, how can you make Zionism cool? One of them started an organization that's like female young Zionist and holds panels and I'm speaking for them tomorrow. And then the other one started a podcast because she saw my podcast and she saw their podcast. And she's like, I'm going to have a podcast to answer all these questions. Like mm-hmm. is Zionism, anti-Semitism. And I, I want, I want every question to be answered. And mm-hmm. they're both articulate. They're strong. They're women. And this is a new kind of activism. We didn't see this. Do you know what I was doing when I was 16? Thinking like, oh, I'm going to go to college and that's so cool because my friends are not doing that. How far have we evolved? And both of them are Sephardic, by the way, which is very important to say. So I think that we're, we're in a place where um, we, we ask like who does it artfully, who does it well, who does it um, in a way that's effective. Right now we have a couple of players, but I'm very confident we have a lot more rising, mm-hmm. a lot more. And, and that gives me a lot of hope. 
Well, that's interesting. You would think in the younger generation, like I was saying, the narrative, like the completely hostile anti-Israel narrative is just ascendant and almost the default position mm -hmm. because, you know, they're for, for all the reasons you can examine. But I guess it's nice to see that you're plugged into this this inner world network which of, of people who are i'm gonna do a callback because i never finished this mm. but um remember that statement that um i decided not to publish mm. against my better judgment and oh, yeah, yeah. And why was it better you didn't yeah i'll explain because now whenever i speak to student groups the message i always end with that i want them to walk away with is i was told that if you draw attention to the issue you make it bigger and i was told that if you ignore it it'll go away and i made the decision not to publish and NYU still turned into the most anti-Semitic campus. We still had a flag burning. We still had an assault. We still had arrests. We still had BDS resolutions mm -hmm. because people who want to hate will continue to hate. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to happen. So you might as well stand up for yourself. And you might as well do it when you're a strong, united community. Because as soon as the first person comes against you in a boycott, guess what? You're going to lose a lot of people who are going to say we're with you but not publicly. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened at NYU. Our numbers never dwindled, but those 15 presidents, same ones that crafted the statement, still came to every meeting. And they all said, oh, can you just leave our club name out of it? Mm -hmm. We're still Realize Israel, but our clubs leave out of it. And that's when you start fractioning the Jewish community because mm -hmm. we've been confronted with this idea as Jewish people back in the day when being Jewish made you different, that would make you a target. And our initial reaction would be to hide it, right? Because you didn't want to be different. But right now, difference is celebrated. It's like a non-confrontationalism mm -hmm. to the to the. To the collective Jew. It's the like, collective mm, Jew. Yeah, yeah, we're like, ah, listen, listen. I'll get this bacon yeah, salad to go. I'll write a strongly worded email. Yeah, let's yeah. get this out. This, this bacon. You know, charge me four fifty for but tea. There is know. that instinct, and that's kind of what happens where yeah. that reputation, we don't need to fight against that uh, instinct. I think Sephardic Jews have it less than Ashkenazic Jews. Yes, we do. We got <laughs> the fire. Yeah, so protect us. Yeah. <laughs> Save well, us. Because us Ashkenazis are going to go, that was crazy what happened today at the party. I <laughs> that. But we'll leave it to you. Uh, where can people find you, Adela? You can find me on Instagram, Adela Kochab, spelled with a J because I'm Mexican. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me also on podcast, Spotify, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, and also on TikTok. I nice. hate to say that. And your show is called the American-ish? American-ish show. Cool. Who's your co-host? My co-host is Mariam Waba. She's an Egyptian cool. Coptic Christian, uh, which are the original Christians of Egypt. Nice. Nice. The OGs. The OGs. The OG Christians. Yeah. That's Good. a whole other thing. But that's Good. for the follow-up episode. I'd love <laughs> Not too more different. about the podcast. Yeah. But Adela Kojab, give me the whole name. Gonna change the world, folks. <laughs> Beautiful. Gonna change the world. Adela Kojab, one more time, the full last name. Moadab Fayana Cohen. Unbuckle up episode right, Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank yeah. you. We usually do a weird thing where Mike and I go like this, but we will just. <laughs> Show Marnikia. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. This is weird. That's weird. Pleasure. <laughs> my my uh, milk toast Ashkenazi friend. Thank you guys for watching. That's Adela Kojab. Thank you for being Buckle up, baby. I got it back. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>